I believe I have made a significant find at the Kandarian ruins, a volume of ancient Sumerian burial practices and funerary incantations. It is entitled Naturum de Montum, roughly translated Book of the Dead. The book is bound in human flesh and inked in human blood. It deals with demons and demon resurrections and those forces which roam the forest and dark bowers of man's domain. The first few pages warn that these enduring creatures may lie dormant, but are never truly dead. They may be recalled to active life through the incantations presented in this book. It is through the recitation of these passages that the demons are given license to podcast the living. Is it possess? It is possess. Yeah, figured. Okay, okay, okay. Very good. Right? What else were you going to do? It's also, I mean, there are other things. I guess you could do the weird words. The, 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 like well, I was the, thinking that there's also the Linda singing like we're going to podcast or, or you. the you could do the cards. Yes, that would be fun. Actually, actually, lots of great lines in the Evil Dead. I take it back. There is. But here's the thing that I uh, forgot uh, watching this movie for the first time in a long time, a movie I was very obsessed with when I was a teenager and just I, I had not seen in so long. The second half of this movie is essentially a silent. Film. No talking. Yeah, <laughs> it is wild how dialogueless it becomes. You know how long the script was? How long? 14 pages. Yep. Sounds about right. That's how long the script for this film was. Sounds Sorry, about right. It's just a research bomb for you there. I mean, it's also a thing where, like, I mean, we got... JJ did some... Talk about an archaeologist going in and excavating the ruins and finding the Book of the Dead. Yeah. Uh, JJ and Nick, our researchers, found a lot of stuff for this. But... uh this is one of those movies. This is such a canonical text of like modern cult cinema, right? Absolutely. And it's also one of these movies that is at the beginning of like every single person. Not not the very beginning, but is in the early stages. Halloween is maybe an earlier example no, of this. No, go on. Every single person who worked on this movie kind of has an identity based in I tell the stories about what it was like working on The Evil Dead. I, right? I, I actually, and we're, this isn't maybe an odd start to this episode, but yes, I, I was sort of commiserating with JJ because I was I know this must be one of those things where there's so many half-truths yes. and weird this legends. This is my exact point. About the making of this movie because this one guy is like, yeah, I held the boom mic. I, it was crazy. JJ's you know? very yeah. good at what he does. Well, he, very he's, he really worked to... He was like the Wikipedia page is shockingly inaccurate. It's like, insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, I was watching... I was digging into special features and this is one of the most famously re-released double, dipple, quadruple, mm. quintuple dipped... Many discs, many... Right, yeah, scattered yeah, yeah. special features. I've now, I now think I own... Four different versions of this movie. Right. This 85-minute right. micro-budget movie. Which I've yeah. been stocking up on them recently trying to get more comprehensive special features for the sake of this episode. But within, like, one featurette on the same edition, three people will contradict each right, other. Right, right. So, you know, all this it was a long time movie, ago. Well, and it's like everything in, about it becomes urban legend. But it is one of those things where you're, like, 14 pages... I think it was supposed to be six weeks of filming. It became 12. Yeah, it was, it was it 11 or 12. Right. And it, the budget was ostensibly 150. And then depending on who you believe, it either went up to 350 or 500. Yeah, 375 is a number right. I see. But but don't you think it's also, it's just like, and you're saying this, but I'm just like, yeah. it was a, a weird trying shoot. Everyone was doing a million things. Yeah. And like then 20 years on, you're kind of like, you just are going to sort of inflate some of it in your mind. Of, of course. Like, 
everyone lost their hearing or right. I, i'm trying to think of some that, that's not true but you Absolutely. know like uh, yes uh, we were eating three day old sandwiches we took out right. of a garbage can you know whatever the, the, just the legend of there's so many shoots. stories like that and 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 that all the stories are based in like in some ways they were surprisingly professional and the shoot was so much better organized than you would imagine right. for this, that kind this of movie. movie exists is uh, right. is miraculous and they were right. just like they, i was watching interviews with the actresses where they were like it was surprising when we showed up to set that they had like scripts printed. They had the sides every day. They had proper contracts figured out. Like in some senses, they were very professional about things. And in other senses, it was total chaos. And there are people who worked on this movie who went on to have other careers. There are people who have sort of made their careers off of being right, involved just, in this movie. Right. Yeah. Uh, and everyone is constantly sharing these stories and going to conventions and doing retrospectives and interviews and oral histories. So there are just so many accounts of this film. Uh, uh, a film called The Evil Dead. The Evil Dead. Which you got to give it credit right off the bat. Pretty fucking great title. Which is hilarious because they did not like the title. And it was like a pretty last minute. It was supposed to be the Book of the Dead. For right. Most of its life. But in that sort of like William Castle, like, you know, uh, uh, Roger Corman sort of school of like, what are three words you can put on a poster that like I can sell? There's there's such a beautiful simplicity to the Evil Dead. I think oh, it's, it's such a good title. It's so such incredible. A good title. And not only is it like such a good title, but it also feels like a pretty good representation of what this movie is. Yeah. Like there are obviously a lot of movies with possession and with demons and with like fucking spirits fucking with people and whatever. But I'm like, how would you describe the forces in the movie? And you're like, they're like evil dead. Pretty much. They're dead. They're evil. They're evil. They're dead. They're evil. And they kind of just keep coming back. But also the fact that it's called the evil dead. Like, right. there's not a villain in this movie. The villain is this force, right? Yeah. God, this movie is really good. It, it is really good. It seems like, in a, I mean, I don't know why I didn't know this, that you are deep on this movie or were at one point yeah, in your life. I, look, the second I started rewatching this last night, I was like, I think this was kind of my Halloween at the time. Mm -hmm. The way you talk mm -hmm. about your relationship to Halloween, and I'd sort of forgotten it because I had watched it in so long, but I think this trilogy really functioned that way for me, and this mm -hmm. movie perhaps was the first time that sort of primal horror film gripped me in that kind of way. But it's got... It's got everything you like. It's well, got practical effects. Look, the later ones have got a lot of humor. That's why it's Evil Dead got, 2 right, is right. like well, perfect. That's like, the... right. Pantheon movie for me because it's, it's I mean, all I love of it. Evil Dead 2. It's all of it. I mean, yeah. I love Evil Dead 1. Yeah. I have only seen Army of Darkness once or twice. That one I actually don't know that well. But, yeah. uh, but I, you know, I I love The Evil Dead. I love it. But I, I'm not like, you know, I, it, was, it was not my I Halloween, think I guess. I yeah. rate Evil Dead 2 so highly that in my memory, I was sort of like, and this was actually much like when we did our Cameron series. And it's like, I love Terminator 2. I saw Terminator 1 once. I sure. think Terminator 1 is the good ground, you know, sort of building. Uh, and then watching Terminator 2 as a slightly more adult person, or Terminator 1 as a slightly more adult person. I'm like, oh, I appreciate the viciousness of this. Yeah. I think I watched Evil Dead 1. Like, I rented it from the video store knowing like, and now next week I get to watch Evil Dead 2. That's the one that everyone tells me rips. But I was surprised by how much more gripped I was by Evil Dead 1 and how how much it sort of like burrowed into me. But I haven't watched it in a long time. Look, 
This is Blank Check with Griffin and David. I'm it Griffin. is. I'm David. It's a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. And sometimes those checks clear and sometimes they bounce. Baby. All true. And this is uh, this is one of those ones, that, inevitable, right? Since we started the show. We talk about directors being inevitable and people go, they say so many people are inevitable, we'll never get to them. Campion and Raimi were two high ups on the inevitable list. Absolutely. And they were always our plan for the beginning of 2022. We flipped them because of Doctor Strange getting pushed back. But say his full name. Sam Raimi. I wonder if he's a Samuel. Samuel Raimi. Samuel M. Raimi. Samuel M. Raimi. Don't know what the M stands for. I believe the name of this miniseries is Podcast Me to Hell. I got no beef with it. I just think we should at least... Talk through the other options? Salute some fallen soldiers. Right. I, I... Put a valiant effort behind Pod Me of Dark Cast. No, you didn't. I did. I wanted it. You said it once. I I did not say it once. I said it multiple times. And then when Ben protested that our suggestions were not sweaty enough, you were like, I said Pod Me of Darkness. Like, you already mangled it. Show some respect. No, no, I'm saying you didn't even get it right. Well, it takes a couple times. (laughs) Sure. I'm sorry. That's the process. Uh-huh. Uh, you did throw out Pod Me of Dark Cast. Right. Ben um, threw out one that was really good. Do you want to repeat it, Ben? Do you remember? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was uh, Potterman 3 Cast. Uh, yeah, really, really good. Uh, I remember it being Spider Pod 3 Cast. I remember it being that. Oh, that Spider Pod Man 3. I don't even know. Spider Pod three cast. The thing I remember distinctively is that the thing I remember is that you put cast after three, which yeah. there's nothing after three in a the galaxy regular take. title, right? right. I mean, yeah. you're changing three the whole the sort end. of like right uh-huh. the calculus of how we come up with these titles. Yeah. A, I think I threw out a simple podcast. I threw out for love of the podcast for part of the for for, for part of the love for part of the cast. <laughs> um, yeah, you Drag know, Drag Me to Hell is just such a, a Hall of Fame title. It truly is, I think. Like, just as a title yeah. of a film. Yeah, I right. agree. So, more than anything else, I kind of want to salute that title. Uh, we talk about Evil Dead being a good title, and it is. And, it is. and obviously, Evil Dead 2, Dead by Dawn, Dead by Dawn's an incredible subtitle. It is. But Drag Me to Hell was just like seeing that on a fucking poster, hearing the announcement Sam Raimi's going back to horror. His movie's called Drag Me to Hell. Uh, so excited! Podcast me to hell. I'm sorry, I, I think already it's forgot. podcast me to hell. Great, that's what it's called. It's okay. decided. Put in a, yeah, like stamp. A, right, let's, some kind of a let's sound add in some stamp there. sound effects. Ben, I'm I'm taking a stamp. I'm Got putting it. it on the ink pad. Sure. Anyway, I've been looking for ages about whatever this movie was. You've been possible. searching in the Kandarian ruins. Yeah, I could have. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know. uh, Guys, uh, I mean, we shouldn't spend too much time on this, but I I did find this old tape player in the woods recently. Ben was going through uh, the Boneyard, also known as the Hausoleum. Or no, this is is your childhood home in Jersey where the jeans were buried. Well, yeah, I mean, I I happened upon some woods and I found uh, an old tape player and I thought maybe uh, we could just quickly... I don't know, play it on the pod? Is that, Look, is that a I, wild I idea? I don't love sidebars on this podcast. I like to say focus on the movie at hand, and I don't see how this has anything to do with the film we're talking about today. But yes, I will allow it briefly if you want to play this tape. Okay, here here I am. Okay, I've got the tape. I oh, play. Jesus. Okay, wait. So it's not even a file on your computer. This is a reel-to-reel. You. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'll just get the tape queued up here on the player and play. 
benedicta, nova ministeria. Okay, that doesn't um, sound like English. No, it doesn't. I'm hearing Do you, some buzzing right now, sort of a head-crushing feeling, like a yeah. truck is driving through the room. A little bit, a little bit of that. Okay, good vibes. I'm, I'm sort of wondering if that wasn't a good idea, actually. I don't know. I feel great. Uh, you guys always have eyes that are bleeding black mud, right? Yeah, that's so that's it. We're just we're done with that sidebar and we can move on with the rest of our episode. Right? Yeah, I mean, I I think there's no reason we need to acknowledge this ever again. I don't think it will come back to haunt us. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but this is this is one of those incredibly famous debut film stories in so many ways, right? Absolutely. It's it's it, this is the the kind of legend. So like you say some people hear the Spielberg legend of mm-hmm. like that kid just kind of conned his way onto a back lot right. and sat in an empty office and started taking meetings. So yes. like you know uh with with Raimi it's like yeah him and his friends went in the woods and they made like one of the most iconic movies, horror movies ever. Like well, I think that's so much of the the I can do that. The legendary status of the movie. Yes, is that is the like they just did it. Yeah, it's just they him just and his friends said, let's make a movie. Yeah. Who do I have? What do we have at our disposal? And then one of the special features I was watching that was, I think, from 2006, that was like a lot of people involved with the movie, but also Edgar Wright and Eli Roth and a lot of the sort of sure. children of the Evil Dead, right. that class of filmmakers talk about this movie. Um, uh, uh, Joe Bob Briggs, mm-hmm. horror film sort of historian, mm-hmm. was was sort of saying like, I think he was the one who said this. That, like, you see so many of these types of movies where it's, like, a bunch of film-loving kids got together in the woods with a shoestring budget and they figured something out. And he was like, this was the first time I'd seen one of these movies that didn't feel like it was written to the limitations. Right, right. Because even to this day, yeah, I'll see a really good horror movie. Yes. But you definitely, you have that thing in the back of your head saying, like... This person wrote a one million dollar script, right? And they wrote it in this genre because they knew it's a genre you can raise a million dollars, right. you know, like horror, you know, like. I don't think that's cynical. No, no, I don't have a problem. But like you Not do, you do sort of right. You're like right. This is set in a house, or right. This is right. You know, it's something like that. Yeah. And like you know, uh, uh, Rob Tapper, uh, Ramy's regular partner, producing partner, especially for these early films, uh, Renaissance films, mm-hmm. Renaissance pictures. Um, was sort of saying that that it was like Raimi was, you know, when he was starting out, I mean, he, he's obviously from this sort of Super 8 generation, right? And then as he's growing up, is more seriously making films with his friends and everybody. Mm-hmm. But that, like, horror was not the thing that he was developing, that he was more into comedy and drama, and that they had made this short film within the woods yep. that got some traction, and they immediately realized this thing that many, if not most young filmmakers realize you can always sort of get a horror movie financed within a certain budget. It's one of those things that is just endlessly sellable. Look, we got a lot of context that I want to give you, um, and I'm sure you have some for me as well. But all of that to say, it is incredible when they sit down and there's this strategically minded, like, we're writing a movie that we know can get made and that we know we can make within a limited budget. It's our friends. They're in a cabin in the woods. It's contained all this sort of shit that then this film is loaded with so many fucking ideas. 
Sure, that's true. To me, yeah, almost too many. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Not that's that I mind. The weird contradictory nature to this movie is like he just went off and did it, but also what he did is insane hmm. and feels like is not desperado. You know, no, right? Or you know, yeah, or El Mariachi. I'm sorry, El, yes. El, El yeah. Mariachi. I'm trying to. That's another one like that. It's the, not the Blair Witch with, Project. It's not Blair Witch Project. But forget the Blair Witch Project, of course, because they it's don't, not slacker. Slacker. Clerks. I mean, all these Clerks. obvious. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. 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 Yeah. The, my, me and my friends just made this. Right. Right. With El Mariachi, you have the he likes you know sold his blood. Yes. Or, you know, like they, they, they'll get the lore of like. Right. Oh, you know, he, his dentist gave him ten grand. You know, yeah. I, whatever. We're going to talk about it with this. Yeah. Yes. All right. Well, the Evil Dead. The Evil Dead. Sam Raimi. Podcast me to hell. We're doing it. Look, the man is, as Griffin said. An obvious candidate for our miniseries. Mm -hmm. Always has been. Mm -hmm. He's got a new film coming out. Uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. I don't know what that's about. His first in nine years? Eight His years? His first film in nine years. Sucks. I suppose it was originally going to be eight. But, uh, uh, sure. but then there was a pandemic. Yeah. Um, oh, and, the novel coronavirus. Mm -hmm, yep. um, but let's wind it back because Sam Raimi, I mean... Well, this is the guarantor. Sure, I, just want, I mean, like I he's had multiple guarantors, but is, like this but is. is it. It's right? the rare first film guarantor. I just yeah. want to wind it back one more second because I don't think we properly introduced the person who took out the real to real tape recorder. Because this is a guestless episode. Which Love means when my my, my co-host holds his phone up. Yep. Yeah. No, I agree. It's a guestless, guestless episode, episode, which means uh, we have the time. <clears throat> his name is producer Ben. Hey, what's up? But he also goes by some other names. Perdue Ben, the Ben Deucer, the Poet Laureate, the Meat Lover, the Tiebreaker, the Fart Detective, our finest film critic, the Peeper, Birthday Benny, Hello Fennel, not Professor Crispy, the Fuckmaster, no. Dirt Bike Benny, White Hot Benny, Soaking Wet Benny, the Haas, Mr. Positive, Mr. Hazev, close personal friend of Dan Lewis, the Voice of Reason, Santa Haas, the Commish, Wishful Ben, Hosleywood. He's also graduated to a series of different titles over the course of several miniseries, such as Producer Ben Kenobi, Kylo Ben, Ben Night Shyamalan, Ben Sate, Say Ben Anything, dot, dot, dot. Ailey Benz with a dollar sign, Warhaws, Perdue Bane, Ben 19, the Fennel Maker, Robohaws, Benglish, Mr. Okay. Ben Credible, Eat Drink Ben Haas, okay. Beetle Vape Juice, The Hosley, Public Benemies, Hosko of the Ditch of the Jersey, Stop Making Benz with a Z, <laughs> Haas Pig in the City, Ben Hosley Met Sally, dot, no, dot, no, no, dot, no, no, The no. Secret Life of Benz with a Slow Z, down. The Great Mouse Fart Detect, The Haas Break Kid, Benz in the Haas with two Zs, Ben Skate from New Haas, and Bronco Benny. I just wanted you to slow down for the last, because I don't know them as well. But no, no, it's okay. It's okay. No, I we don't it. need I to. Yeah, we got it. Yeah. Hosaka no. of the ditch of no, it was the just so, so wait, so wait. So Carpenter is Benscape from New Haas. Yeah. Singleton like I, is I want, I want another, Look, all these are up for revision. Yeah, I want another swing at the Carpenter. <laughs> we can do a lot better. We've than maybe that. been getting yeah. a little lazy with the but, 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 and, but Bronco Benny. That's for what oh, no, said, I know. I, I just want to because I feel like Give it was it a little moment in the sun. Bronco Benny just feels like the best one. I, he, ben is mythical in a Bronco Henry type way. Wow, wow, Bronco Benny. I can't. I, I mean, agree. I'm, I'm, he's here with us today. I'm he here. Today. I, I'm, I'm mythical. Yeah, uh, I'm excited to talk about this movie. A lot of chains in this movie. And so you're saying that that, that real real tape recorder, which includes chanting in a language I didn't understand, you're yeah. saying that that was announcing a new miniseries that was just. Asserting what we already know that this is a new miniseries. Yeah. Okay, yep. so that's seems, normal. Seems and that's totally normal and whatever. Okay. We're and just nothing gonna, else will happen. Nothing else will happen. No, I don't yeah. think so. Nothing yeah. will be awoken. No, nothing will be awoken. Uh, I agree that this is not the only instance of this, but this is a rare instance 
within our show where the first film is absolutely unequivocally a guarantor. Because, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and hmm. it, it, it has a bit of an odd journey to getting there because this movie has a very slow burn in terms but, of release. But nonetheless. Nonetheless, it it's is. It's the calling card, it but is. it's also the, you know. And again, again, he has other, you know, like movies that sort of leap him further up the ladder or whatever. I guess. He, he graduates. It's kind of always this. In a way. Um, I mean, I think there is an escalation with the three Ash movies. I think yeah. Simple Plan takes him to a different level by his own admission of just yeah. sort of like you've graduated to showing you're not a bag of tricks filmmaker. Yeah. And then Spider-Man obviously takes him to another well, level, but a level right. that's sort of I guess my been odd for In him. my yeah. head, I'm like, why does he get Spider-Man? But you know what? We'll get to that. We'll get to it. But but here's the thing, like, just before we dig into the context of him, that is another reason he's fascinating, is he is one of these guys, we were just sort of talking about this right before we recorded, who really became like a cult filmmaker in a modern way mm -hmm. not just in that his films had this big sort of cult following behind them but that he was viewed as this like folk hero that everyone who worked on his movies people memorized the names of like who the model makers are you know there's a little bit of that in carpenter's career certainly there is and we were saying like uh uh kevin smith someone who will never appear on this podcast mm -hmm. has that as well you know where there's like the stories about the film getting made all of the collaborators everyone involved in them becomes a comic-con sort of like no, no, yeah, perennial yeah, figure all I of that and i also think Raimi is someone who benefits from the early days of uh the internet and comic book store culture, where yeah, people but, were just like, it's like the record store, like, you know who's really fucking cool is Sam Raimi. Um, agree with all that. But even before the internet, you know, the Fangorias and, yes. and you know, all that, like the, the horror cult circuit yes. of the 80s and 90s. People feel kind personally of of that. invested yes. yeah, in they're, him. They're rooting for him in a and, way. And, oh, I know his brothers and how yeah, they collaborate and the Bruce movie. relationship. And Bruce is like the original king of the Comic-Con. Bruce... The, you know, and then like the car, his car is always right. in it. The, the fake shim, the it's car, all the little like Raimi that lore. Shit. Yeah, that feels like he's at the beginning of a thing, if not the first, right? Mm -hmm. He's in the early days of a thing that's now become much more of a thing, which is like you watch an Edgar Wright movie looking out for the Cornetto rapper or whatever, you know? Right. You understand who his old friends are that he's bringing back. And like, uh, Raimi, that, that builds around him in the early days. Yeah. And, and has persisted. All right, let's do. Some, I have things yeah. to say about yes. this. But Open up let's the dossier. Do, let's, okay. Look. And by the way, um, <clears throat> JJ and Nick usually send us a dossier as like a Google Drive link, but this time it is uh, a hard copy bound in human flesh. Of course, and it's talking to me. Yeah. And I'm gonna draw it for you. Uh, I'm acting like I'm possessed. Yeah, it's very funny. It's a good performance. Sam Raimi, born in Royal Oaks, Michigan. Mm -hmm. We all know it. Yep. We love it. We've all been... No, Royal, Sorry, Royal Oak, Michigan. Oh, yes. We all know it. We all love like it. Like a Detroit suburb. He's from yeah. Detroit. Yeah. Um, he's Jewish. Love Gotta it. Gotta stand. Love it. Uh, his parents are... I think his mom owned a lingerie store. Like, they're like local shop owners. Is he Jewish and Italian? Jews, man. Just straight up Jews? Love Jews it. from Russia and Hungary. Conservative Jews. Wow. Okay. You know, conservative meaning... The sort yeah, of, yeah. you know, the kind of Judaism they practice, yeah. not their politics. Um, and like, like you said, 
you know, like these movie brats, he's a little eight millimeter kid. They're he's like watching movies. Yes. Like his dad's taking him to the right. cinema. He says Fantastic Voyage, I think, was one of the first yeah. ones for him. Like his older brother Ivan becomes a doctor, but writes a lot of the stuff with him. Mm-hmm. And then uh you have Ted Raimi, his younger brother, who's an actor who's in Yes, there's a third brother things. who I will talk about as well. Um fourth brother, you mean. Right. Well, yeah, oh, yeah. oh, third brother. third brother of Sam, fourth boy. Yeah. Uh, yes, um, likes movies, loves television. Mm-hmm. Uh, also crucial, I think, to all these guys because you're watching the reruns of old movies on TV, which is a new thing in the fifties. But you're also watching, like the big Saturday movie and all these. But also, right. he yeah. loves the Three Stooges, which he's obsessed Huge. with, Humongous. and is sort of a big influence Part on of him. I heard from. I think everyone on the Evil Dead in all these books talks about how he would like reference evil. <laughs> Three Stooges sketches, yeah. right? Like about visual stuff like that. Yeah. Where are you on the Three Stooges, by the way? I feel like we've Look, united on this where we're both kind of like only seen in, you know, little bits. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I feel like there are. No beef with them. Same. I don't want them beating Same. me up. I feel like they're. Don't there make are... me go over there and whack you upside your head <laughs> yeah, and right. poke in your and, eyes, David. Right. Make my eyes cross or whatever and go like. Yeah. I feel on. like there's certainly a type of person who thumbs their nose at the three stooges and goes like they're not intellectuals they're not you know? they're no laurel Mark's and brothers Hardy they're no Mark's laurel brothers right. right yeah right yeah. there's that sort of like divide mm-hmm. i have never really been into them but i also have no judgment of it whatsoever and i will say i like i've watched a lot more marks brothers than i have three stooges three stooges would be in circulation when we were kids i guess so it is weird to think that we were like of the last generation where they're just wasn't that much children's television where sometimes yeah, you'd be like be on. there was an hour of three stooges on some deep channel i guess so i i never watched a lot of it but i was no. like familiar with them i i've certainly seen some of it uh well i have news for you both i love the three stooges what? and i've watched them a the surprise. most out of all of the other what? groups what? you've referenced sure yeah. they who's your guy okay it's curly okay because curly is like kind of like lovable he's mm-hmm. like the least mean one that's yeah. why I always liked him. And he's just kind of like goofy and he's the one who's like, yep. right. yeah, and yeah, he yeah. does a great move sometimes so where he, he spins he around the on the floor and he gets I know about too that, excited. Yeah. yeah. I'm a victim of circumstance. Wait, he's like that. He talks like a Brooklyn guy. Yeah. Uh, all right. Anyway, uh, another thing that the Raimis all love magic. Big influence. Again, you can kind of see it in yeah. shoestring filmmaking, Absolutely. right? Like I mean, having this movie to is using yes. every technique in the book. Um, so that, in fact, is what mm-hmm. makes him friends with his high school classmate, Bruce Campbell. Yes. Hunk. Yeah. Big chin. Star of the Evil Dead. Well, and just one of these things you love when two people just find each other that early on in life and are like, you care about this shit as much as I do, and their careers are able to completely develop in tandem, you yep. know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you you just think of like just like how fucking lucky is it those two guys end up in the same high school that they uh, find each other. It's it's beautiful and makes me happy. Yeah. I I will note it's not that I mean it doesn't I don't think it's like something that comes up a lot but mm-hmm. he has an older brother called Sander who died who drowned when he was 15 years old wow. which I think cast a crazy pall over the sure. family especially when he cuz Raimi I think was 9 at the time uh-huh. uh that's in here uh what are some other I'm trying to sort of think of you know Ellen Sandweiss, who's in this film, Josh Becker, Scott Smith, they're all, they're called the Michigan Mafia. They're all right. in this little sort of like Michigan kid movie drama sort yeah. of circle, I guess. Well, let's also mention. They're all doing plays. They're all making little Super 8 movies. Who else is Sam Raimi and his crew hanging out with all the time these days? 
these days? No, at this, oh, in this okay, time back period. Because I don't know who Sam Raimi's hanging out these days. I, I, he and John Favreau seem very close. Uh, who? The Coen brothers. Well, the Coen brothers, I don't know about that. When when do they hang out? Like, not in high school, right? The Coen brothers, of oh, course, are from Minnesota. But I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Right. Not not in high school. I, I know you are you were just invoking the actresses, but... Um, They're in high school. They're in high school with them. Like, okay, they all know gotcha, gotcha, right. gotcha. No, right. I just know the fact... I'm sorry if I'm jumping over in time here, but, like, the Coen brothers always cite the exact thing we were saying where it was, like, Sam Raimi was the first person we knew who made a movie. Who suddenly uh, yeah. made that leap where you're like, oh, you can go from being the guy on the couch talking about what you would do to just fucking doing it. Yes. Uh, well, yeah. No, we'll talk about Joel. Yeah. Cohen sorry. Sorry. Later. Sorry. Yeah, I was jumping he, ahead. Coming up. So okay. over eager. So you know they're also they're all making their little Super Eight movies. Uh-huh. They all go to Michigan State, I think, yep. or, or some of them do. Raimi goes to Michigan State, mm-hmm. and Bruce Campbell goes to Western Michigan. Oh boy, Jesus! Uh, I don't, you know, uh, and that. But at Michigan State, he meets Robert Tapert. Is yes. that how you say his name? I, th- the, the I guy, think it's Robert Tapert. Whatever the guy who yeah. produced this movie, right? right. One of, another one of his chief collaborators. In these right, because then he, I mean, they do another just weird facet of Raimi's career. That I do think factors into him getting the Spider-Man job is that the two of them become the kings of like daytime syndicated adventure shows. Right. That Tapper and Raimi have their Xena, Hercules, yeah. Jack of all trades, it, Briscoe County. It was Empire. a moneymaker back Huge. then, right? You know, Huge. those syndicated shows. Huge. Yeah. Uh Tapper, of course, now married to Lucy Lawless, has been for the last 30 years. They have kids, they're yes. happy. Love um it. and then he and Tapper uh, also have Ghost House Pictures, which has been very big for them for the last 25 years doing yeah. Here's the thing that I think is interesting. Producing horror films, next generation. Yes. You know, they start making their shitty little movies. One yeah. of them is called the Happy Valley Kid, they make uh-huh. it for like a thousand dollars, and they would start showing them at like on campus, yeah. And they would make like, like, say they spent a thousand dollars, they'd make five thousand, right? Like, so they actually had a little bit of a pipeline in their brains of like, okay, you can like turn money around. That's on where Tapper, in this thing I was watching, said he took notice of them was like, oh, it's not even like that they're good filmmakers, it's that they have some weird like show busy, like money making instinct here, they figured out a model. There was some weird thing they figured out in terms of like they'll pay you to put on an event at the college and that's greater than the amount of cost to rent the equipment to do that so they could get paid by the school as if they were like bringing in outside entertainment almost. It was something like that. I'm getting it wrong. But yes, they were making money off of screening their short films. Uh, they were. Uh, this is Ramey's quote. Uh, we would rent auditorium space, run our newspaper ads, we'd sell tickets. We acted as our own projectionists. Yes. And it was a great learning experience. We would sit among the audience as they screamed, this sucks. After a while, out of self-defense, we would make better films. Right. Uh, but the thing that uh, Tim Philo, who I think is the DP, I think that's how you say his yes. name, uh, on Evil Dead says, is when you project the movie out of a Super 8 um, projector, mm-hmm. you have to keep... He, this is how he puts it. You have your hand on the control, trying to keep the sound in sync. You're doing a mix on the spot. So... Like basically, like every time you basically have to manually project the movie, yeah. and so Raimi would take reels out if people got bored. Like he would self-edit That's on cool. the fly and stuff like that, yeah. which is like one reason I think you know the Evil Dead's really short. Like I think the initial cut of it was two hours, or yeah. Raimi was just like, no, 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 you know, like he just yeah. wanted the most like compact, entertaining. I just like that idea. I love of, like it. You yeah, know, like. Them having the live feeling of the audience. There's this thing about Raimi having this sort of like 
old school showman yeah, yeah, sensibility. Yeah, the kind of William Castle-y. Right. Uh, is that, that's, that's yeah, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, you know, but entertainer. There's, there's the yeah. thing that like develops with Raimi later, obviously, where he like famously uh, always dresses like a gentleman on set. Right. And not in like a Paul Feig. No, like, but he's always in a suit, right? right? I mean, at least often. And I think especially in the 90s, people were like, that's a little bit odd. And he would always just very modestly be like, you know, I have a lot of respect for um, uh, movies and uh, the job of it. And I wear a suit so everyone on set understands that I uh, take this very seriously. Like, not in a self-serious way, but in a, like, I want to pay respect to the art form and the audience that we're making the movies for. I'm realizing I don't really know what he sounds like. He sounds I, like that. Yeah, he's, he's like just kind of nerdy like, and quiet. I mean, my my, I think I've said this on the podcast before, but he did one of those Director's Guild podcasts. Yeah. Where the directors interview each other after yeah. screening of a movie. Great, great podcast. Um, Recently, Joel Cohen and Guillermo del Toro, by the way, was a really good one. Yes, um, um, they have great episodes. So all the he time. and Favreau are weirdly close. I sure. think I think Favreau's like kind of gone to him as a guru a number of times in his career. As he's sort of scaled up the bigger logical. movies. Yeah, and he did one after Lion King, and Raimi was moderating the Q and A. And Remy like makes jokes, like he has bits that are clearly prepped, mm-hmm. but he's so low key in how he delivers them. Mm-hmm. And he goes like, uh, um, "John, I I remember uh, when the first Iron Man came out. Um, I took my uh, daughter to see it, and she uh, turned to me at the end of the movie, and she said, uh, Dad, uh, they did it. Um, they uh, uh, finally made a good superhero picture.' Right, and everyone's sort of like." Oh, he's not talking. Oh, that was a joke. Like, like that, that's the energy. His daughter's okay. shitting on Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, I guess, like, because, like, someone like Zemeckis or whatever, I'm like, oh, I know what his, you know, I've yes. seen enough talking heads and I yeah. know his energy, but I'm realizing. Raimi is literally quiet. Okay. And then. Good for him. Right. And I think it's very focused. And then all the shit I was watching. Very Midwestern, it sounds like. Yes. But not in the garrulous sort of Chicago, you no, know. No, but also not mysterious, not self-serious, you know, it, like very respectful. I mean, Topper had a thing he said where he was like 98% of the time, Raimi is like the sweetest, gentlest, kindest, funniest, most sort of like uh, avuncular guy to everyone on set. Mm-hmm. And 2% of the time he can get very like brisk and sort of like focused and stern. And when he's doing that, it's because he feels like there's not enough respect being shown, not to him, but to the amount of work other people Everyone's are putting working towards the so movie. Hard. Right, right. right. That's the sort of whole thing with him. And it's the suit thing as well of just like, we need to pay respect to the seriousness of this art form and also the audience we're making this for eventually. Mm-hmm. That's where like the weird editing on the fly thing comes into play for me in my mind is that like he's like our primary responsibility is to entertain the audience he has his own identity he has his own fingerprints he's trying to make individualistic films but it's like if the audience doesn't like it i failed Mm -hmm. i don't think he's one of these like they didn't get it no he's right he's not chip on his shoulder about that right Right. okay trying to see what else Uh, bruce campbell Mm -hmm. works as a gopher for Vern no sorry yeah works as a gopher for Vern nobles who was a famous gopher for George Stevens and okay. teaches him like the lore of the gopher, you know, like I mean, you know, always have a rag, always have a book, like run everywhere you go, like all that stuff. Campbell right? like, is is it's the same as the fucking um uh why the, Jesus Christ, Bill Paxton. Mm-hmm. Where I'm like, these guys loved movies so much that even though they clearly wanted to be movie stars and had leading man looks and got there, when they started out, they're like, Yeah, I'll fucking paint the models. 
I'll like yeah, scrub yeah, yeah. this down. I'll lift the equipment. Like they actually spent time in crews, not just because they were trying to get their foot in the door, but also like they love everything about movies. Mm-hmm. They're not just guys who like love movie stars and the idea of being the dude. And they talk about in this like Campbell was like such a key player in this movie, not just obviously in its development and being the main actor on screen most of the time. But they're like he was producing. He was the guy who had to put the contact lenses in for all the deadites. Like he was moving equipment. He was like doing everything, you know, and then to also maintain this incredibly high wire performance the whole time. I have to imagine there's going to be lots of. Bruce Campbell's stories yes. for over these episodes because the man writes books and tells yes. stories and is a you know a, a thing I a had great com- relator of anecdotes. A thing I'd completely forgot until he reminded me. John Hodgman. John Hodgman was Bruce Campbell's editor. That was kind of Hodgman's big entry point into the literary world. Was uh, Bruce Campbell's books, which sold disproportionately well, and it was this especially moment, if Chins could kill that, right. that first one. Yeah, yeah. in the nineties when like online. The internet was starting to make uh, these fandoms that had existed in real life all congregate together. So they were louder and more visible. That book sold so much better than like celebrity memoirs from much bigger stars where Hollywood started being like, oh, is like a cult following is that still a following. If it has that many people behind it, he's actually famous and well liked, you know. Uh, I knew about him. Well, again, I'll talk about my relationship. With yeah, him. sure. Anyway, but like, yeah, like I'm trying to think. Like, I feel like I kind of knew of Bruce Campbell before I knew of the Evil Dead. In a weird same. way, same. Yeah, and, and Sam Raimi, and then like was like, what yeah. is this? Who are these guys that everyone's obsessed with? And what's the movie that made everyone obsessed with them? Is how I went into renting this movie and watching it for the first time. Anyway, all right. Yeah. So they, 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 Raimi and Campbell, they sure. want to make a feature film. What yeah. kind of feature films are getting made on the cheap? Poor. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Halloween, The Hills Have Eyes, Last House on the Left, right? These movies where it's like scary movies sell. Mm -hmm. You can make them for low budgets. Yeah. uh, But still need money. Yes. So uh, they make a little short film called Clockwork. Have Mm -hmm. you ever seen this? I never have. I have not. Um, But apparently, whatever, gives them, it's a seven minute short. It gives them a little bit of. juice and, and then, then what's they, within the woods right well so then they have this screenplay called book of the dead within yeah. the woods is something they make we, uh, here, that's okay. sort of a proof of concept almost right um absolutely so yeah. they go to a lawyer friend of i think like taper tappert's dad called okay. philip gillis okay who uh they what they get introduced and i think Tappert's dad is trying to get this guy to talk them out of this. Like, be like, can you talk to my kid and his friends about how, like, the movie business is is a crapshoot and you're never going to make any money? And instead, they come in and they show clockwork to him on, like, a little Super 8 projector. Yeah. And it's got, like, a jump scare and Mm -hmm. some shadows on the wall and all that. And this is the this quote from this guy, Gillis, is great. He's like, that type of movie is not my favorite, but I was taken by the quality of it. I told them. It had to be done to raise money, that they would need to, you know, do all blah, 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 right? And uh, he said that he, I'll do the legal work for you, mm-hmm. but it's going to be, you know, X, it's going to be t- thousands of dollars. Yeah, sure. And they said, we don't have that kind of money. He said, okay, fine. I'll take a piece of the action. You cool. can give me two shares. Yeah. How much is a share in your movie? And they said $10,000. So he says, I'll take two shares for doing the legal work. Yeah. And afterward, I was so impressed with their industry and talent, I bought... I bought Another share and a half myself. Now, here's the great quote. Yep. Here's the killer. Okay. 
I was satisfied with their integrity. My judgment has been vindicated by the way they've treated all of us investors ever since. Let me tell you something about those kids. I got a check last year from them, and it's the second one. It's a six-figure check. With Hollywood accounting, I could have just gotten my money back, but yeah. that would have been it. But those kids are honorable. I like that. So they keep paying out the yep. original uh, Evil Dead investors. Yeah, fucking this rules. This fucking makes money, yeah. right? You know, forever. Yes, yes, wow. yes. Because like you're saying... I feel like every few years they're like, we have a new DVD. It looks like the Book of the Dead. And the yeah. fans are like, you got me. We added 40 bucks. It, this take is, it. It's like legendary for like, if you're a fucking Raimi stan, you've been, you've just been like, they've cucked you so many times of like, <laughs> I'm buying it for the 10th time. Uh, absolutely. So we love it. We so love then it. they make Within the Woods, which is like, okay. yeah, it's like a sort of a right. 30 minute version of Evil Dead. I've right. never seen it. Have you seen it? No, there's a crappy copy of it on youtube is all i could find i was yeah. hoping it was on one of the the discs i think I they are not proud of it yes. so like they don't really try to spotlight it anymore the biggest thing is that the dynamic it's a proof of concept like but the said. dynamic is uh flipped mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. uh what's the actress's name uh uh, uh ellen sandweiss sorry there you go. uh who i didn't realize is uh, jesse hodge's mother who's that she plays the agent on barry she's like a very very good actor uh, who I like a lot. Cool, right? Um, Love her. But uh, she essentially occupied and married to Beck Bennett. Yes, Jesse Hodges. Yeah, yes. not not Ellen yeah. Sandwich. Uh, cool family. Cool, yeah. cool extended family tree there. Um, she essentially occupied the Ash role in Within the Woods. Uh, right. Okay. It was the yeah, more yeah, standard yeah. sort of final girl. She has thing. to survive. Right. Right. And Sandwich says, "You ask if it was a good script. No, it sucked. We were all hitting each other over the head with axes. Yeah. But." Sam was good at, you know, being imaginative. Yes. Right. Um it's it's a thing uh uh Joe Bob's Joe Bob Briggs said in this featurette, which was like, A, if you outline the events of Evil Dead to people, it just sounds like a series of cliches. It, there's it does, nothing sure. in how you describe it to people that makes it sound any different from a thousand other movies you've watched. Mm. Right? There's no sort of like twist. And then on top of that, the things that could be construed as twists are things that never work. Like, the guy survives. Sure. There's shit like that where they're like, the protagonist is never a guy that never works. Yeah, that's that's true. That's right. a good point. Yes, and then Edgar Wright the rare... had this line where he was like, most horror movies follow the format of them getting picked off one by one. Of course. Right. And in Evil Dead, do essentially... inventive kills for right. every, you know, all that. Yeah. Evil Dead, essentially, halfway through, he's the only one left. And instead of it being people getting picked off, it's him getting picked on. Right. Is what Wright said, which I thought was a really good way of expressing what's mm. so unique in this movie. The second half of the movie is just everyone fucking with him. Uh, it's true. Everyone's yeah. kind of, yeah, pranking him. Kind of yes, being rude. Within the Woods, by all accounts, sounds like a slightly more conventional version of the Cabin in the Woods movie. Yes. Done just show them the sort of tone and vibe of what they wanted to. Apparently there's this moment where Bruce Campbell, who's possessed, mm -hmm. chews his arm and it looks weird and goo. You know, they have like weird latex sure. coming out of it. And that looked so cool and gross that that was sort of a moment that popped and right. obviously encouraged them to like go bigger cool cartoony or more visceral right. right yeah and i think also that like oh campbell's really good at this physical shit yeah, he is. that his weird like the the you know three stooges turning me on yeah he, it, you know it's funny because i feel like by the time you get to evil dead 2 
he sort of owned his position of like, I'm a parody of a handsome guy. Right? Yeah, definitely, sure. Yeah, he's but... obviously a handsome guy, but like by the time he gets Evil Dead 2, he understands what role he's going to occupy in Hollywood, which is like, I'm a little too slick. I'm a little too cocky. I'm not going to be Bruce Willis. I'm like the fake Bruce Willis you dispatch early on, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. This is the one movie where you're like, he's just kind of hot in this. kind of like the hot guy you know in college or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. He doesn't have the arched eyebrow. He's not sort of doing the winkiness, but he's just like so fucking committed. There's even just like, he's not plucking that unibrow. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, for sure. And they talk about the the women because uh, they, they now all like tour conventions together. Mm-hmm. And so then they produce like a documentary together about the three of them and their relationship. Ellen Sandwise, Betsy Baker, Teresa yeah. Tilly. They were like, he was so fucking shy at the time. Like he was such a sweet, shy guy, but he was just like so collaborative, so caring, so attentive, especially to the other actors looking after them. But it was like, Raimi was the same way. And then... And then they would get big when they did Three Stooges routines. Like, they would literally talk to each other through... And then they would write, yeah, boys, you know. Right, right. Not to be... And they were, like, hilarious. But I think what you wouldn't expect, which is another thing that Raimi sort of, like, lands on miraculously in the same way that, like, oh, fuck, the practical, the blood, the stickiness, that's popping, Mm -hmm. is the, like... Bruce Campbell's sort of vernacular of Three Stooges translates really well into physical suffering. You can place it in a less comedic context, but he's able to crank up the energy of reacting to a bite or the thing he has to do to himself or whatever, and it just becomes so cinematic. Um, I love it. Uh, Whereas this movie maybe at the beginning positions him more as just like, this is our friend who's like a handsome guy. Uh, right. he's well. He's that has to be the thing that switches him from within the woods to this. Of like, no, he's the guy who's going to suffer. I assume so. I don't. Well, well okay. Well, let me yeah. let me let me keep going. Please, within sorry. the woods, they show it in front of Rocky Horror. Okay, one time, someone writes it up in the Detroit Free Press. This guy Tom Filo, who's going to be the DP, the DP. Yeah. reads that article, goes to the next showing of in front. It was in front of Saturday Night Fever. He. Goes up to Sam Raimi, and Sam Raimi's like, are you here to see Saturday Night Fever? And he's like, no, I'm here to see Within the Woods. Cool. I heard about you. Yeah. Uh, and he was just obviously impressed by the movie, but figured, like, they need a lot of help. Mm-hmm. And it was basically like, whatever you guys are doing, I'm in. Like, right. just please involve me. They raise 150 grand. No, they're hopeful to raise 150 grand. But they decide when they raise 90 grand, they can go. Okay. Follow by the way. raise more. DP on this. Yeah. And then is DP's second unit for Evil Dead 2. Right. And then pretty much retires from the film industry. Well, pretty good resume. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so they get their funding together. They have Sandweiss. They have Campbell. Mm-hmm. Betsy Baker is, you know, had just graduated from Michigan State. They talk about, I mean, they're all obviously friends now, but they were three very different uh, uh, personalities. Yeah, that Sandweiss was kind of this intellectual, serious-minded Jewish girl, mm-hmm. and that uh, Baker was more of like a type A sort of sorority girl, cheerleader energy. She, right, she sang, I think. Right, I don't know. That, uh, that at first they were like, she's too peppy, and right. then the third one, who I get her name confused, Teresa because she, Tilly, but she's, she does this under a fake name. Yes, which is Sarah York is the fake name. Right. Her name is Teresa Tilly. Yeah. So she had just booked a SAG commercial, and she thought that this movie. 
because movies like this did not help people's careers at this point in time. No. They were like things you had to get past in order to become a serious actor. It's one level above doing like a softcore movie or whatever. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And not only that, but there was no later revenue stream of like, you get to spend the next 40 years going to conventions sure, for yeah, this. that's true, right. So right, she right. made a fake name to distance herself from this movie and SAG found out about it and she was uh, suspended from working for six months after this movie because of the fake name. Silly. Yeah. Um, but uh, that then, she was the more serious-minded, trained, had the most on-camera and theater experience mm-hmm. of the three of them. And then Hal Denrick plays the other guy, Scotty. Mm-hmm. These are they. They did the auditions. Henrik uh, uh, Denrick, sorry, um, Denrick. Yeah. He was the horror fan. He was the one of the cast, even more so than Bruce Campbell. Who's like, I love these types of movies. I'm so excited. I'm in one of these movies. I understand exactly how this needs to be played. Which I think that infectiousness extended to the women in terms of them suddenly getting the joy of the thing more rather than being a little bit embarrassed by being in it, you know? Right. Um, They decide to film in Tennessee mm-hmm. instead of Michigan because they thought it would be cold in Michigan. Yes. Actually, apparently was the coldest winter in Tennessee history. And Michigan was like beautiful. And Michigan was too. like very nice. Yes. Uh, so they blew that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, so many of the stories are just about what a nightmare it was to make it. There was they, no running water in the cabin. They're all right. like living in this shithole. They shit all lived hole. in the cabin. Like right. the entire crew and cast of this movie is spending all of their time in this cabin, sleeping in the cabin. The guy who's the cook for all of them couldn't really cook, but they had hired him for two other jobs, both of which he was bad at. So he sort of ended up as the cook. Yeah. Uh, right. And people, you know, it drags on so long that a lot of people drop, have to leave. Yes. And so by the end, there's like barely any crew. There's really yeah. just like one guy holding a microphone. There's Sam and Ted. And, or, you know what I mean? Like there's uh... the stat I heard once again, who knows how much of this is sort of like mythology, but that the entire crew and cast was essentially on for six weeks. Seven, I think. But yes, yeah. Six and, or seven. And then essentially the second half of production was down to five people, including Bruce Campbell, which is pretty much everything with just him. He's basically on screen the whole time. All the and special effects. And one of the other guys is right. the chef. Right. So he's not really, right, like, you right. know, uh, on set. But but it's right. It's like DP, Tapper, Ramey, Chef, Campbell, <laughs> um, model maker. Yes, there's apparently a moment where Raimi fell into a deep sleep in the middle of a scene because he Uh had not slept for three days. uh, And he just like fell asleep, like laid down on a couch and could not be woken up. Um, So that sounds pretty weird. But he was just obsessive about doing things over and over and over again until they got right using whatever techniques he needed. And right was about a feeling rather than this is obviously not a movie that is like... Uh, you know, uh, realistic. Mm-hmm. It's not about. Uh, it, it has it plays so many different visual styles that mm. it's like he just knew the feeling of what every moment needed to be. What what's the vibe of this effect? You know, or this performance moment, or whatever it is. And then, yeah, they they did pickup shoots in Detroit later. So yeah, yeah. the whole thing dragged on forever. That was like they a do... year later. It takes about three years for this movie to get released properly. Basically, it was premiered in eighty one and came out in eighty three. Right. I think. Uh, but like a thing, as you mentioned, of course, the post production happened happened in New York. Mm-hmm. Edna Paul did the editing, and her assistant was one young 
Joel Cohn, mm-hmm. who sees this movie and is like, well, I want to do something like this. And yeah. that's where Blood Simple comes from. He's yes. like, oh, we should make a small genre movie. You know, same right. same basic thinking. And obviously, they continue to collaborate. We'll talk about Crime Wave and right. all that. McDormand and Hunter living together, the Coens, Ramey, all these people are friends at this time, which is it's wow. cool. It's fucking the coolest shit the in the composer, world. The composer, I love the music for this movie so much. Yeah. It's so weird. Yes. Uh, as a, It doesn't really match with the movie entirely, but I no. love that. Joe Joseph, De, uh, sorry, Loduca, not Deluca. Yeah, Loduca uh, is some pal of theirs. They met through like the Michigan Department of Transportation. He just does some school, suggests some music for them, like weird, and they're like, "Sounds great." They hold this big premiere at the fanciest theater in Detroit, mm-hmm. the Redford Theater. Is it still Book of the Dead at that point? I know when they started screening this movie, it was Book of the Dead. It wasn't until it got proper distribution. I think, so, yeah. I think that the title right, was changed. Right, right, right. Yeah, and. Uh, Erwin Shapiro uh-huh. sees it and is like, I'm going to take this to Cannes, to the marketplace, right, not to right. the festival. Uh, and that's where the ball starts rolling. And I think yeah. Stephen King was in the audience at Cannes, yeah, at I one of the Cannes screenings, I and was like, I love this. Right. And was and like was an early champion. He gives them the quote that they put on the poster, which right. they all credit with making their career. Right. It was like once you had that sign off. But also like Joe Bob Briggs is talking about like he's hearing about this movie from circles. Like he's seeing it written up in like horror newsletters and stuff. So before it has distribution, when it's like, here's this movie they shot a year ago, it's getting shown around a little bit. He got into like, I think the second screening ever. So then once he does that, he becomes another guy sort of blowing the trumpet but for this movie. New Line distributes it eventually, like yeah. early New Line. But I mean, so much, one, this movie is a video hit more than they anything. They all talk right. about it was like it made a little bit of impact in theaters. It made like a few million dollars. There had been yeah. a couple years, I think it was almost like Paranormal Activity, where it's like, why is this thing on a shelf? Horror fans want to see this. But then when it came out in theaters, yeah, it made a few million dollars and then like exploded on video almost immediately. Yes. And so it's one of those early video hits and... I look video nasty. I have to acknowledge that I grew up in Britain. Yes. Thank you. And uh, I'm sorry. What? This film, which was I think an X in America and this later was another in NC problem. 17, they, like, never got proper ratings. So it's, I think it no, was, it got an X rating. It was but I feel X. like it was unrated at first and then got NC 17 and X later. No, Maybe I'm wrong. No, about it, this. it was, was given an X there. rating okay. and then yeah. when re-released that became an NC 17 which is still the official rating of this film. Which is why. But now the releases go unrated I guess because yeah, sure. cares. Okay but, so I had the order wrong. Um, I, apologize. But, uh, I apologize I'm an idiot. It's fine. In the, it's U- in the UK the film had to be edited to even get an X rating and then it was indeed one of the early video nasties. Yes. We've mentioned this before on the podcast. Ben liked the phrase. I did like the phrase. Yeah. Uh, and was banned. And yeah. I, when I was a kid, this movie was similar to like Clockwork Orange or Exorcist for me where yeah. I was like, that movie must be unwatchably violent because it's banned. Well, the thing that Edgar Wright said on on this, the retrospective thing I was watching, was that uh, you know, there was, there was a lot... Was finally released in 2000 to be clear. That's how long Bananas. it took. Right. The ratings board was very tight and in place for theatrical. And there was yes. not really any oversight of videos. Right. So when it played in cinemas in the UK, it was heavily edited. 
And then when they put it out on video, as was often the case with a lot of these horror movies at the time, there was no oversight there. So they put out the American cut. So then the cut on video was the exact cut that had been banned. And it becomes this thing of like, your kids can just go to the store and get this filth and watch it without you even knowing about it. You know, all that stuff. Right. Because some of the stuff they ban is like Cannibal Holocaust. But then other stuff you're like... Wait, this movie is barely like it just right. like took on some weird legend of its own because of a scene maybe or right. like like uh, there's Nazism or you know like there's some like sure. theme that freaked people out. Yeah, uh, it's so weird. Well, Child Play two. I mean, Child Play the, three. Because I don't think that was ever a video nasty. That was just considered to be the inspiration for the Bulger murders, right, which, which it wasn't. Bananas. I mean, they hadn't yeah. seen it. Like, yeah. but that 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 was one of those kind of like Columbine, where sure. so, like. There's this weird legend that builds around, right. like, well, there's a scene that's like that. Like, they must have, you right. know, that before, was late. Yeah. And then they, like, found that the, one of them had a poster that they had walked by one day. Like, there was, like, it's some association like that. like that. Right. It's um, weird. And, and when you read about it in Britain, and you can if you want, like, sure. it's all led by these, you know, little old lady types, right. you know, who, like, haven't watched a movie in 50 years. Think of the children. Yeah. Think of the children. I mean, Sex cauldron. My my thing, David, Thought is... Thought they closed that place down. Oh, boy. It's one of my favorite Simpsons lines ever. Um, I uh, was was such a comic book store kid, yeah, right? A little like, forbidden planet boy. Yeah, and there was a place called Village Comics that was also close to me that was on the other side of Washington Square Park All that right, I really Mr. liked. Mr. Downtown. Downtown Griffin Hills, baby. Mm-hmm. Um, but that became... Like, once I found those stores and I was just like... Not just like... Oh my god, it's a store with only things I'm interested in. There isn't just a section in the back. Right. Right. But also I was just like, I like the vibe of these people. <laughs> as much as it's the parody of the complex store guy. I so they kind of scared me. I was kind of afraid of them. David, I was intimidated by them, yeah. but I do think, and I, I'm unlocking this so much of my entire identity now, was I was like, God, they know all of this shit. That's right. And they have opinions on it, right? Like, I was like, I want to know the shit they're talking about. Like, that was my high fidelity. Like, could I gain these guys' respect sort of thing? It's not like, I, eventually, I I mean, I eventually worked at Freedom Planet, but I started to know the people who worked there a little bit as I grew up and whatever. But it was that thing of just like, what's the secret shit they know that I'm not going to read about in Entertainment Weekly? Right. You know, that I'm not going to see on Entertainment Tonight or whatever. Yeah. Uh, where Where suddenly Bruce Campbell is treated as, being as big as Arnold Schwarzenegger in this store. And I need to know what the fucking deal is here. So I knew that, I think by this point in reading Wizard Magazine, Toy Fair, all these things, right? Wizard, yeah. I think I knew that like the Evil Dead movies get goofier as they go along. They become more action. They become more adventure. There's more comedy. Like Evil Dead 2 is every genre, right? And I knew, I think that Evil Dead 1 had the sort of video nasty reputation of like, that one's intense, that's the one that's just like that was how the I fucking felt. Like that, that was the humorless one, or right. And then I knew I had a tree rape. This essentially. is my exact point. Right. So I'm yeah. maybe eleven or twelve. I desperately want to watch these movies. Yeah. I feel like I'm behind the eight ball, even though no one I know has seen them. But these adults at stores I go to clearly have seen them. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And my mom and I go to local video store, TLA Video, and sometimes I'd want to rent a movie and I would downplay what I knew about the content of it because my mother was still very protective about what I watched, right? Yeah. So then she would ask the guys who worked at TLA Video, like, is this appropriate? And those guys were sort of heroic for me because they were all, like, film school dudes right? who would be like, 
this kid should see this movie. Yeah. You know, like he clearly, if he wants to see it, he's clearly coming to this from some academic mind. You're not going to fucking talk him out of watching this, right? But I just remember the guy there, my mom brought it to the counter and she was like, Evil Dead, how bad is this? And he was like, you know, I mean, it's like a horror movie and there's blood, but the blood is kind of cartoonish. It's, it's all really untrue. silly. It's all over cranked. And then I just remember him going, you know, I mean, like the most extreme thing that happens in it is a tree rapes a woman. And there was that moment where I was like, it's blown. It's blown. I'm not right. renting this movie. And right. my mom, I think, was so perplexed. Right. By She's what, like, how could that work? What are you right, talking that about? She just That's went ludicrous. Like, okay. And, so and you just got to rented see the Evil it. Yeah. Dead. Wow. Yeah, but but so at that point, did you watch it alone? Yes. Wow. I had so uh, when when Romley was my my brother and I shared a room, right? Wow. And then when Romley and I was when Romley and I, my brother and I, Jamesy shared a room. When Romley when was Romley's born, born. Yeah. we got a bigger apartment because now there were three kids. Yeah. And I had my own bedroom for the first time, and I had like a six-inch TV with a built-in VCR. Of course, classic. So little, that was like fella. a lot of my shit was like from 10 on I'm watching movies alone in my bedroom late at night and more and more like I can get away with if I could talk my mom into thinking the things not too extreme at the video store. I can now be watching Alien or Predator, Evil Dead, and this is like a lot of these things. And then you developed a really healthy habit. Absolutely. And I sleep very normal hours. <laughs> but, but yes, I just, I felt like I'd gotten away with murder, but also at that point, I didn't know about the tree rape thing. And I was just like, that concept is disturbing me. I'm Quite watching disturbing. the movie going like, I'm unsettled. Yeah, it's very unsettled. Going into it and, and waiting for it. Now, this is a scene that obviously has like a lot of debate around it. Mm. And I think Raimi talks about feeling like he went too far with it. And he, that's like not a thing he would do today. Sure. And I feel like a lot of its reputation is colored by like shitty screenings where guys are like hooting and hollering at it Jesus. in the audience, which like obviously that's fucked up. Yeah, right. But whatever. No, when you but watch I, I, this I, scene, I do still think, especially not having seen it a while, I'm like, it is really designed with complete horror in mind and right, not right. a sort of like. Bloodlust war, but like or, this is yeah, like an upsetting thing. Like I think the movie presents it as like we are aware that this is a turning point in the movie where you're just like this is like fucking malicious and awful and traumatizing. This is a movie that first time I saw it, that was sort of my feeling on it. Right, I was quite unsettled by it. Like, and I then I saw Evil Dead Two quickly thereafter Same. and was like, I probably saw them this is so much fun. Right. This is so goofy. And like if the tree was in Evil Dead 2, you'd be like, there is no way. It's kind of right. Not the energy of the The movie. film's too yeah. flipping around it. There's no way. But like. Right. But then Evil Dead 1 was kind of like Terminator 1 where you're right. like, yeah, that's the one you don't watch as much because it's darker and it's less fun. And that scene is genuinely fucking upsetting it to is. watch. It puts you in a very weird headspace. But. But. I rewatched Evil Dead just now. Yes. And I was like, damn, I should watch this movie all the time. Same. This movie fucking, fucking rules. Same. That's, that was the realization like, I had. Yeah, this movie is yeah. so like cool and you know, the right kind of freaky slick. It's it's just, I love the vibe. I mean, all right, I'm going to say something embarrassing. Say it. Yeah, yeah, I definitely, I don't think, I had no, because the movie came out in Britain commercially, basically, sure. available to rent when I was 14. So okay, I saw. Okay, and your point is. How would that affect you? Yeah, what I do you. I saw Donnie Darko yeah. when I was like 15. Yeah. And in Donnie Darko, they go see the Evil Dead at right. one point. They're in a right. theater. Right. And you just see, it's like a shot of the car, that shot with the scores, like, boom. Yeah. 
doing like the the thing is rocking on the porch or whatever like yeah. you don't really see much and i remember watching it being like that movie looks crazy what is that movie yeah. immediately realizing it was the evil dead you read in like sure empire magazine like oh that's a little homage yeah. and i was like i gotta see that movie like it looked so atmospheric and weird yes and then it just becomes the movie in my head of like yeah that's the movie with the zombies and the gore and the cool like that right the but then i rewind i'm like yeah i love that start it, I love the weird, creepy beginning. Yeah, I before mean, anything's happening. You know what's the thing? I I, I don't know if I fully landed on. I think Donnie Darko is my entree to the Evil Dead. Leave me alone. It's not that embarrassing. In the grand scheme of things, it's not that embarrassing. Sure. But um, this movie is like such an archetypal setup, right? Even by the time this movie is made, it's old hat, and then it's been imitated. The cabin even. in the woods. It's literally right. It's the joke. Um, but. From the moment this movie starts, there is a different energy than you so often have in these types of setups. And I think there's something to the fact that, like, they're all just a little bit older That's than true. the characters usually are quite... in these movies. Like, it's the difference between them being, like, 22 or 18, you know? I do. And there's just a little bit of wariness to them. There's a little bit of cynicism to them. Mm -hmm. So it's not that same thing where it's like they're driving to their death, these fucking glib kids. These dumb, horny teens who need to be punched because they want to drink and screw. Right. And, and like, without it going full screen. They look like they just want to have dinner or something. I don't really Absolutely. Like, right? They're just going to kind of vibe they're, at the cabin. They all <laughs> seem a little bit tired. And it's such a weird grouping where it's like this guy, his girlfriend, his sister, her boyfriend, and the fifth friend. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah yeah. 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 It's like an odd collection of people. And yes, it just feels like we've just been so stressed out. We should like just go around a cabin in the woods for a weekend and just sort of like get away. I got rather say, than that energy of like, we'll go here. We could drink and no one will right, catch no us. No one's going to be watching. Uh, pretty creepy, that cabin, in my opinion. Absolutely. What? Right it's a bat. little creepy. Right off the bat. No you're way. Like, I don't like its vibe. Oh my bad. God, I would love to live in that cabin. <laughs> but it also looks like, especially in a pre-fucking Airbnb era, this is the exact thing they could afford. A hundred percent. But I mean, like, they're driving on a road, quote unquote, but it really just looks like the rest of the grass around it, right? Like you barely can discern a path. So this is my final point about like the vibe set up from the group immediately. They're not full scream, but they do have that vague self-awareness of like, this is like a creepy setup, right? I guess so. Just the right amount. Listen, I 100% buy this. I am that kind of guy where I'd be like, well, yeah, the bridge fell apart. It's rustic. We're right. in the country, right. okay? Look at like, this what are you amazing about, that this house. Is a horror movie. Yeah, this is an amazing experience. I just we're about think to when have. this starts out, I'm not like I, I'm buying their hangout vibe, and I'm yeah, not thinking yeah. they're stupid for going along with this. Yeah, which I think goes a long way because, as you said, there's 14 pages of dialogue. There's here. not a lot of talking. Right. It's going to be such a vibe that carries these characters. The first person to get anything going on is Cheryl, is Ellen Sandweiss, for who who draws the picture and then starts drawing the weird picture. Well, as you said, the first moment is the opening, opening of this film. After the porch you get, swing. But the opening opening is the Raimi cam going through That's the woods. so good. Which is just such a, like, statement of intent. I think it's, and I should look, it was something to do with, like, obviously they couldn't afford a steady cam. Yeah. Uh, but, like, they they would do something with, like, they would put it on wood beams, I think, yeah. and just kind of run it. Yes. 
uh, they call it the shaky cam, right? Yeah. yeah, they would just have a long board and kind of, yeah. Anyway, it's really and cool. It's, it's not that he's the first to do this, but it's that thing of just like the the camera has a personality, yeah. and in this movie, that personality is giving you the sense of ominousness, where you're constantly trying to figure out: Am I watching what's happening from the perspective of the characters? Because so much of horror movies is something weird happens someone reacts to it right and you're seeing their pov or when has it shifted back to now the camera is the force right right because this movie doesn't have like a big bad there isn't a final boss no there's, it's like right, there's just yeah. an evil force in the woods it's making everything around him bad there's just and sometimes the camera is playing that force and sometimes it's not but yeah, I know. And of course, I'm forgetting. You, you see like the weird swamp. Right. Sort of bubbling gases yes. and fog or mist or whatever. But you've also just set up this thing of like this camera has bad vibes behind it. Bad. And, the, and the music is kind of weird. When we get into the car, everything feels neutral again. But you're just like, you know, there's this looming presence. And then, yes, the the porch swing is the first thing, which is just it's so fucking like clearly there is someone swinging the porch and then grabbing it and holding it still. Right. It's the most analog, basic fucking shit in the world, mm-hmm. but it works so well and it's so innocuous that you're like, that's creepy, but what are we going to do? Fucking lose our minds over this? Right. It's not blood coming out of the outlets yet, you know? Um, and but then, the, the, the picture thing correct. is that's pretty early. The, that's the escalation. That's the first... Yes. Uh, because it kind of almost comes out of nowhere. Yeah. She hears the join us, right, before she does it? Sure, yeah. Or maybe she hears it after. Mm-hmm. No, no, it's before, I think. And then she draws the uh, book, mm-hmm. essentially. Right. Yeah, I think that's cool. I just always think that's cool. It's... What's that George C. Scott movie? Is it The Uninvited? Yeah. Uh, think, where yeah. you have the... Is it The Uninvited? It's not The Uninvited. George C. Scott. Um, you know, the seance scene where the yes. woman is, like, drawing, like... Uh, as if because she's possessed and her performance here is so good I think she plays that moment really well the tension in her body sorry that's the movie the The changing sorry Uh, it's it's like genuinely upsetting and the fact that she's drawing so ferociously that it's ripping through the paper and it is that thing where you're like that looks like how a drawing would look if you're possessed it's not unnaturally good it feels like it's chaos, but then it just forms an image enough to be able to see what's going on. Right. And then, David, how would you describe, like, the next kind of tangible, scary, visual thing that happens in the movie? I feel <laughs> like they go into the living room, and there's like, an esca- there's, like, another thing that starts to tell them that things are off. Maybe. I'm trying to think how. What are you queuing up here? What you would- you- Crash! A bridge yeah. goes through a window! Oh, well, that is true. Yes. All right. <laughs> Very well. I hadn't seen this in 15 years. You forgot about that. I got so fucking excited. And I was like, Griffin, you better remember to fucking do this tomorrow. Right. Uh, That is what it's like the exact fucking thing. Right. I would leave right away. Just FYI. I know that's the most cliched thing to say about any horror movie. But this place sucks anyway. It's a bad cabin. I wouldn't go in the first place. There's, I mean, we know me. Well, yeah. that's true. Yeah. But like you show up and you're like, what is this cabin where one whole room just has saws hanging on the wall? Like, right, I just That's leave. early too. Yeah. Just yeah. Goodbye. Yeah. Ben obviously would no, I'm, like be like, can I negotiate full purchase? <laughs> right. You know, can I live here? <laughs> yeah. I take a look at that basement and I would be like, I think I've found home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It it is funny that it feels like this movie has a slow burn when in reality the slow burn is like fifteen minutes. Yeah. 
Well, yeah. I mean, the movie's 85 minutes. A good... With credits. Exactly. Opening like and a, closing. A good yeah. 40... Yeah. It's just Bruce Campbell at the end there, really, yeah, right? Yeah, like, Gonzo. Yeah. Um, they find the book. Yes. Bound in Human Flesh, and they find the... And they find a tape recorder. Right. So I, I love the book so much. The book is so good. Obviously, I mean, I can, what can we say? I it's, mean, look, it's it's the and I, hey. partially I knew this was coming, and I ordered it, but I lost my wallet, and I was looking for a new wallet to get. And this, I think, is the Evil Dead Two version. But my wallet is now a fucking the Book of the Dead. Necron- yeah. My wallet looks like it's the Necronomicon. Uh, uh, it's so uh, good, and I I love the illustrations inside. Okay. Uh, me too. I just love the whole vibe of the thing. I just love this idea. I think it's really, really effective and scary to happen upon some experiment gone wrong. Yeah. And the tape initiating like like the tape having the reading of the seance that originally killed the creator. Yes. And it's being then replayed and repeated. I, I don't well, I, that to, when I saw this as a kid, yeah, uh, it just it, that like idea blew my mind, and it still to this day resonates. It's such a creepy thing about analog, yes, uh, you know, electronics or just like the something about the tape too. But I think um, also the weird voyeuristic quality of being in the house of someone you don't know. Yes, when you start looking at their objects and trying to figure out who they are. Yeah. There's always that weird vibe, and it's like a little bit creepy and a little bit thrilling. Let alone if you discover something that's a little incendiary like that. Yeah. Um, I I just think it's one of these things about just how focused this movie is, and, and Remy knowing what he wants to do. That like we do not dig into the backstory of this guy. It does not need to be explained that much. Like that scene tells you everything you need to know, which is like, oh, this guy had this type of voice. Mm-hmm. He's this kind of academic. Something clearly went wrong here. We don't need to fucking dig into like he's Ivo Shandor and he had a cold. But and this, he like and that. he just took it to a cabin, I guess, to sort of fuck around with it, and that was the end of him. Yeah, yeah, right. It's and he, like and then, then that's you just it. fill in the blanks. You don't need to fucking know because the other thing this movie gets at is just like there's no way to stop this. It's not like they're going to be able to go further into his research and find the thing that he didn't get to in time. Yeah, uh, this I- movie's about like there's just evil that exists out there. And once you fucking open the door and let it in, you're you're done. You're done. And as much as like the sequels take Ash and the TV show and everything into different directions. Right. It's so much the idea of like this guy's going to just be forever haunted by this shit forever. And as time goes on, he becomes more and more glib and sort of like jokey about everything because it's a coping mechanism. But his life is forever dominated by the fact that he's the guy these fucking things chase after. Because I looked it up on the Evil Dead wiki, obviously, right? Of course. And I I love Evil Dead too. Mm-hmm. And, I res- and I have apparently have respect for the rest of the Evil Dead universe. Sure. But it is kind of annoying to have to sift through like comic books or whatever. And I'm like, yeah. I don't care. Like, you know, I don't care whatever backstory people came up with. I love the simplicity of yes. this movie. Right. It's an evil book. It's got a creepy face on it. If you read it aloud, everyone's going to turn into creepy things. Yes. And try and eat you. Well, look, I haven't seen, and I, I will watch for, during this. Dead. I've seen the first season. I've never seen the second two seasons. I got the set with everything now, so I'm going to watch the other two seasons. Mm-hmm. But a thing I liked, at least from my memory of the first season as well, is just like, I can't speak for the comics. 
of which I maybe read a couple in the early 2000s. There, there's there's, there's, there's sort of a bunch of random so many, ones, right? Yeah. And they've done so many fucking crossovers with shit. Um, but I like that it's a series that always moves forward and doesn't sure. spend too much time going back into the mythology and the deepness where it is just about like Ash as this guy continuing to live. Right. You know? Which yes. is what I care about. I don't care about the the gods. Yeah, I mean, I do and the think, curse I, and I think there is, right, there's some comic that explains it more. And I'm you sure. do you do see the guy in Evil Dead 2, right? You, you right. see Nobi, I think his yeah. name is, or whatever, you know, the, the academic. But uh, I do, the, the tape is such an, a simple, uh, the, the tape is such a simple bit of scare work. And as you said, Ben, not only is it like, here's the exposition, but the tape itself is... The curse. Yeah, yes. you've accidentally played something that not only causes the trouble, but is like a document of the moment this guy fucked himself. Okay, and here's the other thing too that I love about it's like this listening to a suicide note almost or something. It you know? is, but also you would listen. That's what of I was going to say. It, it's like a horror movie where you're like, well, of course you're going to play this fucking thing. How could you not? Like anyone would. But it's I sim- love like, that idea. How do you idea. not fucking look through their medicine cabinet? You're like, not, you're but, not like, being like, oh, this fucking no. idiot. He's, of course he's exactly. going to get fucking murdered in the shower. So much more than like, the book. Like if they opened the book and read every page of it aloud, that I'd would be, be like, more unbelievable. I don't think they do that. Playing the tape, you don't, once the tape is playing, you don't fucking turn that off. That's definitely not. Shit. And the noise, you know, the, the, when he speaks in Sumer, Marion, yeah, it's it's creepy sounding, but you're not like, oh, this is bad news because no. you don't know what he's saying or anything yeah. like that. It was surprising that there was a Blue Apron ad though in the middle of it. Well, it, it's dynamic advertising. He didn't record it at the time they added it, <laughs> and it changes every thirty days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is <laughs> a Blue Apron. Um, That's what I find weird is that the Blue Apron voice is done by. Like a sort of disembodied deadite. <laughs> That's the thing I found surprising. Is um, that they had them do the pre-recorded ads. Um and losing his damn mind over here. Uh, so they play the tape recorder, and I believe that's when the tree branch comes through the window. Oh, sorry, I was just so over eager. I know you were. Uh and all the kids uh, leaning in waiting for Bart Sher- to make the that joke. Cheryl yes. Cheryl leaves that night and that's yeah. when she's attacked by the tree. Like that's pretty much the yes. the sort of first night like yeah. series of events yeah um, and, and the tree sequence yes like incredibly harrowing it is it's 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 just where you can tell this is a real filmmaker yes i guess is the best way to put it right Ver- and it's the same with the halloween or hills have eyes or texas chainsaw massacre or whatever where you're like oh yeah this is like i like watching some goofy schlocky horror movie yeah. from the 70s that never really ama- but like this is you're just like oh there's so many clever editing choices being made here this is so involving this it, is so difficult it also to just watch. feels like this is actual evil i'm seeing representation right. of evil like pure maliciousness and I do think, despite, you know, if you get the wrong audience, they might react incorrectly to this sequence. I think, like, so many sequences like this and similar horror movies of the time are trying to have their cake and eat it, too, where they're just like, sexual assault is bad, but also look at these boobs. And I don't think there's anything... There's no titillation. I don't. I don't think in the way that he is presenting this as a director, there is anything titillating about it. Obviously, 
there are reasons to not want to watch this and to be intrinsically made uncomfortable by seeing this depicted on screen in any form. Right. But I, I don't think he is doing it flippantly, which is usually my barometer for like sexual assault in film, which is just like, are you presenting this as an actual traumatic thing mm. versus a plot mechanic, you know, salaciousness, what have you. Um, but but it does also like shift the energy when she comes back into the house. She's just sort of like, I can't even explain what happened to me. This isn't like creepy shit happening. This was like such an invasion, you know, right that the energy is shifted so hugely from that point on. So the next big thing is the he's supposed spades. to drive her away. Right. He's supposed right. to drive her. The car doesn't work yeah. or whatever. The, the bridge is out. Yeah. Uh, she starts to panic. She's like, it's not going to let us leave. He's like, yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. Again, this is where I just she fucking knows. walk right. away. Uh, but absolutely. Right. Yes. Uh, and then like, I mean, this, this, the, this, the, you know, the cards, the, they're playing spades and she yeah. starts reading out the cards and then she floats and fucking, right? She floats yeah. right then, right? Yeah. Yeah. She levitates and then she's, then we're off to the races. I mean, yeah. then it's like, why have you disturbed me? I'm going to eat you, whatever. Right. I'm being flippant about the Evil Dead, but I just no, feel like it's yes. very simple. It's, yes. There's not there's not a lot to this. You right. woke them up, shouldn't have. Yeah. They're bad. Yeah, and now they're going to possess all of you. Yeah, and the only way to kill them is chop them up. Right. That's, and that's the, another big statement of intent from Raimi, where it's like, how do you stop these things? You dismember them. Right. There aren't zombie rules. It's not like there's a headshot you can do. No. There's not a stake to the heart. There's not a silver bullet. You have to fucking take them apart is the only shot you got. Right. So he's like throwing down the gauntlet of like, here's how much gore is implicit in the premise of this movie. Yeah. You have to take it to that extreme. Yeah. Their transformation to the design. I love Yeah, it. Like all of them turning into these white, like kind of clowny. Yeah. Clowny. Yeah. And classic, but obviously it's like very bloody and gross Veins, and disgusting. These Veins. weird uh, contact lenses they have to wear that like they're like glass contact lenses that cover the entire to blind you. They're and blind. Like you have to take off right away. Yeah. Basically, they're like, blind when they're in them, and they all all the people who worked on this movie talked about the phenomenon of prosthetic madness, right? Which is like maybe like five hours in, you start losing your mind, and like. Some of that they would capture on camera right? when it just feels like they're like wild and out of control and then call cut and go like, it's time to get them out. Right. But so much of their performances is just physical, right? It's just moving Absolutely. your body in weird ways right. when you're possessed, right? Like she's Cheryl uh, does the, you know, where she kind of like, you know, like rival her head his, around. Yes. Yeah. His head around. Um, trying to think of others. Well, uh, I, the, the thing uh, I thought was really funny, uh, uh, Linda was talking about the whole singing thing, right? Okay. And that she was in like the makeup all dolled up and then was sort of doing bits on set. Mm-hmm. You know, like they were trying to figure out the first day of filming, like, how should I move this and that? And then she right. was doing as you do. This always happens. Instead of someone's wearing a funny thing, you all sort of do bits about it. Right. And they do bits about it because you're trying to, like, get comfortable and take the, you know, the weirdness out of the room, whatever. So she started, like, singing in, like, a Shirley Temple sort of voice doing Cupid doll shit as a bit. Right. And all the crew guys were like, that makes me uncomfortable. Stop doing it. <laughs> like, that's not funny. And right. her and Raimi look at each other and they're like, that's interesting. That, they're like, they're, they're that got that such way. a visceral response. We had been rehearsing this where you were playing more menacing. Right. And that scared them less than you playing cute in that makeup. Hmm. So then they were like, that's the thing. You're fucking doing that. Right. Everything is like weird little child star. Uh, which is creepy. Yep. Can't deny it. Weird nope. sing-songy voice. Creepy. Yep. 
Um, what else? So she goes crazy. She stabs Linda right. with a pencil. She throws ash, and they knock her into the cellar. And the, lock her inside, and she keeps popping up, being like, rah, 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 rah. "The pencil's <laughs> such a simple gag, but just so upsetting and visceral." Yeah, nasty. Um, Especially because, like, it could happen to you. I don't know. Yeah, yes. yeah. But so, like, right? It's just the movie escalates so quickly, where they're not going to get picked up one by one. This is like an out of control situation that's getting worse by the second. Right. You're playing on this thing that obviously most zombie movies play on, where it's like, I don't want to say goodbye to somebody right his his sort of idealistic if we can just hold this in place until the morning we'll be fine right which immediately just like dooms him yes that's what i would no i would just leave i would have left already right that's but, he, what I would but he's done. like i don't want to leave people which right. kind of as much as it's maybe not smart you respect no, his solidarity. you know he that's that's what defines him he's right. still, he doesn't want to I chop think, people though, up but at and, that point david when you're saying like i would leave i would leave I don't Goodbye. think that you can. I think the the rules of it are... I'm aware that like the magic of the deadites or whatever would yeah. prevent me from leaving. Well, I would definitely try. That's the end of the movie. Right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. what's also a, such a scary aspect of it is that the evil, you don't really know what form it takes necessarily, no. how it's transferring. But that's... That's what I like about Evil Dead Griffin as a likes franchise. the lack of, lack of rules. You're yeah. kind of like... Me too. Oh, oh, well, but not only that, oh, okay. but that's just like two paces out of the tube this is going to haunt Ash for the rest of his life. He can yeah. travel in time. Yeah. He can move. Yeah. Decades can pass. It's it's just like, as you said, there's no leaving this. But don't you also think like something that's good and interesting? Yeah. Or not, is sort of like, it's not like, oh, he touched her and that's why she's changing. You know, like there's not some sort of like flow chart of the possession i i think the elasticity of the rules is to this movie's advantage okay. and i also think the elasticity of the um the aesthetic you know mm -hmm. and and two obviously takes us to a whole a different level but like how does this manifest what does it look like what are the powers of it that because it is it's it's just this thing in the air right right that then takes hold of you and it can sort of do whatever the fuck it needs to do to flip you out at that moment. But so why doesn't Ash get possessed? Well, two obviously deals with this more. Right. But forget two. Right. There's no real reason, right? It's just Rules Boy asking a question. Yeah, I think it's just that Ash is the most resourceful and self-defensive. I mean, he's obviously getting bitten by the end of it. Right. right. And then the movie ends before, I guess, he has a chance to turn. Yeah. yeah. Well, then obviously the movie has the... The final shot of like the thing creeping up on him, and right. who who knows what'll happen right. next or whatever. Right? Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I look. Ash takes more damage in this movie than I remembered. As much obviously, this movie's about him being beaten up. But watching it now for the first time in however many years, I was like, huh, it's a little surprising he doesn't get turned. Right. I thought he got bloodied up, but wasn't as directly sort of right. attacked by them. But the he basically does. Like, yeah. So whatever. I don't care. To there, be clear, there's I can that thing. It. I'm just wondering. There's that thing too that I think lends the spirit of this movie is like Campbell. They are such close friends that there's this added layer of fucking with the guy at the center of the movie. Sure. There's... Not not just that the movie, the world is doing that, but that Raimi is getting joy out of like how much blood can we dump on him. How much can we poke these bruises? Like all that sort of shit that feels 
jackassy in that there's a camaraderie to it and it's good natured and it doesn't feel like they're picking on someone, which is why I think this movie does need to star a male character as much as that is the flip of how this genre how always movie, works. Right, yeah. Because if it's a woman, I think it feels vindictive, right? It feels cruel. Yeah. But especially but it, if it's a bunch of, you know, boy zombies trying to eat her as well. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, and also there has to be, there is that sort of dilemma moment that's pretty powerful. Like, I don't want to chop my girlfriend right. up. Yeah. Know? Yeah. <laughs> um, that is just, I feel like inherent, it's crucial to any good zombie movies. You need that kind of like. I don't want to shoot X in the head. It or I don't want to leave him be someone behind. Way. Or right, you right, know, something like that. Okay, night digging. Okay, uh, not uh, something I would do. Not well. Yeah, mm. I would, I have to agree with that. Yes. It's a scary thing. Yes, it is. Yeah, well, you're only doing it for bad reasons. There's yeah. never a good reason no, to night dig. Why you're would not you just... go out in the middle of the night no. and dig a hole? No. Right, right. It's a yeah. long time to bury jeans. It is a wrong time to bury well, jeans. If you're someone heard right. you digging a hole in your backyard yeah. huh. they would assume you had done something wrong now i know when you buried your jeans in the daytime people were assuming your neighbors assumed you were doing something wrong but and, and we, of course <laughs> the listeners know you were doing something very right. right yes but but yes uh you've talked about that before that they thought you were burying a body um so okay i'm trying to remember the sequence of events here uh obviously cheryl's down in the cellar mm-hmm. um Demon comes through the window and attacks Shelly, turns her into a zombie, a deadite. Right. Uh, he stabs uh, Scott, the mm-hmm. other boy, stabs her in the back, mm-hmm. and then she reanimates. So he chops her up, right, and buries them. Yeah, like buries the bits, and then he tries to leave, and he comes back possessed. The trees get him, right? Right. Sorry, is Shelly or Linda in the basement? Sh- uh, Cheryl is in the Cheryl's basement. Cheryl's in the basement, sorry. Shelly is the first one turned. Right. Linda is the later one, right? Like right. Ash goes to check on her, and then she's like, ah! You know, like, this is, it's... The basement dynamic is just so good, because it's like, okay, we've we've contained this one, this one's fine, we'll wait for a way for to help solve or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But then she fix. just becomes this, like, taunting force of, right. like... For a little bit, she is no longer an immediate threat, but she's this constant reminder of, like, you're just fucked. You're fucked, dude. There's no way around this. And then, right, because so, with Linda, he doesn't want to chop her up, so he buries her. Right. She comes back. He has to chop her head off with right. a shovel. Right. And then and then he's got, like, a friend to talk to who he realizes is quickly turning, and there's that, like, desperation to those scenes of just, like, how much time does he have left still being able to speak to another person? Right. Who is not trying to fuck with him? Yeah, yeah. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's really good. It's a really good movie. Uh, and yeah, like the the effect of like the blood like spreading on her el- like the weird like sort of spider webs, right? Is Which really is really cool. That's, that's literally like they're doing stop motion. Stop motion. They're just drawing f- more and more. It's frame, Correct. frame, frame. Yeah, hundred percent. It's, it's frame by frame painting on a person's flesh. Uh, Which, but like, it's super right. good. Raimi, his original plan was, I think he was sort of anti-stop motion, maybe because it was a little overused at that point and seen as corny. Yeah, yeah, he was worried, right, it looks like, you know, obviously it kind of looks like, uh, what, Jason and the Argonauts or whatever, you know, like. uh, So he had this whole plan, they were saying about, like, we make dummy heads, and but they're really thin, and then we put a balloon inside, mm -hmm. and we fill the balloon with smoke, and we release the balloon, so it's like they're 
head or their body parts will just deflate and smoke will come out. Right. And that looks shitty. And uh, what's his name? The guy who was the main special effects guy, model maker on this. Uh, Bart Pierce, I think, right. is one of them. Yeah. It was like, please let me show you what I could do with stop motion. Right. And it becomes like even in the sequels that have less of this, that have more like animatronics and whatever, it does just give a language to the movement of these things. Because so much of this movie is like the the manic nature of the camera work of Campbell's performance, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. where stop motion, you can get those eerie rhythms and yeah. things moving too fast. It, exactly. It, or, or just moving in an unsettling speed. Right, yeah. right. Which they need to do. And then I feel like in the sequels, you have like them using other techniques now trying to replicate that energy. Which are also good. Which is good. Yeah. But it's, it's, yeah, it all looks so fucking good. And I like, I like, by the way, I mean, talking about the elasticity of it, that like the deadites can look different. Yeah. They, it can manifest in different ways. They kind of seem to, I mean, again, obviously it's a budget thing or whatever, but right. like they, they, they kind of go with the face. They like, they, they match the person right. they're on in a weird they're way. They're commonalities, but there's not this like one size fits all effect for all of it. And then two is going to go in much further directions. Um, but yeah, obviously like, you know, there's the whole scene with Linda where she's, she undeadites right. while he's pointing the gun in her head right? Uh, to sort of, you know, lull him into a false insecurity. Which, once again, is this thing of like, they're just fucking with him it's now. So, they're trying to make so him simple, suffer. Yes. But it's so effective. Yes. And then obviously anytime he goes near the fucking, you know, like there's the bit where her hands come out of the floorboards yes. like and grab him. Like she's always there. Right. It's just <sighs> poor this, Bruce. Yeah. Poor guy. Poor guy. Um, so eventually he gouges Scott's eyes out. Mm-hmm. He shoots Cheryl. Mm-hmm. He, uh, we mentioned, you know, he chops Linda's head off with mm-hmm. a shovel. Uh, and there's, I guess Cheryl starts to attack him and that's when the Necronomicon is near the fireplace. Like, yeah, I'm trying to remember what I'm forgetting here and all like, it's right, hard to, right. String the, he has the to use the necklace. The... God, that's a, such an interesting scene too, where he's sleeping on the couch and she finds the necklace, and they do that beat with the eyes, yeah. where it's like an entirely cute scene that they shoot like a horror movie. Yeah. Uh, those weird eye close-ups where she's trying to check the box without him waking up. Um, but but yes, he ultimately he has to use this fucking necklace he bought to fish the book out. Yeah. And they're like chowing down on him. It's getting worse by the second. Yeah. The book is just out of reach. Can he get it into the fire? Um th- will that end everything? Would you just burn the book right away? It's such a cool looking book, though. I know it'd be a I shame. Feel rude I'm such a collector. It. I'm like Yeah. Cause it could have occurred to them earlier, like, oh yes. shit, the book is the problem. Throw it in the fire. Right. Yeah. I mean, obviously one of the great moments in Hereditary where she's like, that'll do it. And then it just sets him on fire, which right. is what such a good reversal of that. I yeah. Think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but go on. Spoiler. No, I, I, I mean, I'm with you, yeah. David. I keep the book too. Yeah. I would at least. Good book. It's just that craftsmanship of the weird eye and all that. Yeah. yeah. David Merchandise Spotlight, did you ever have the book editions of this? No. Okay. So that I was have like... a fairly boring looking 4K edition of it. Yeah. Like, yeah. no, no, no steel, no right. fancy. Yeah. No. I now have the third 4K edition of this, which is the Groovy Collection. Hey. 
which is this and two and all of Ash versus Evil Dead, not Army of Darkness because Universal has that one only. Right. But then that's the first collection that has all the special features from the DVDs of Evil Dead 1 specifically, which were never upscaled for high def. Right. So there's the extra DVD that that set has. That, sure. Whatever. No, no. I mean, it's fine. It's just, it is, it's not insulting, but it is funny how. Yes. They just know they can wring more money. They just out know of they it, can. Out of the it was fans, an Anchor yeah. Bay thing forever, and then uh, has has Lionsgate has had them now. But um, uh, Anchor Bay in I guess the early two thousands did like we're releasing the movie in the Book of the Dead. I remember that you can buy the Book of the Dead replica, uh, and then did a same uh, the same thing for Evil Dead Two with the new book for that. Yeah, I think that one added a sound chip so you could like push the eye of the book and it would scream. And it was like the coolest DVD packaging ever that was notorious for just decomposing. Oh, really? It, because it was like they almost made it out of the same things that you would have made the prop out of. Sure. Like it was like it was like rubber with padding and like foam inside of it. Yeah. Um, this DVD is now $181 on Amazon if you want it. Look, it's very expensive because there are very few of them that are still like intact. It yes. was like the second you took it out of the package and it hit air. I, I mean, it's we've sometimes joked about these things before, but when you look up like old film props and they look terrifying because they've just decomposed, mm. the, the DVD is decomposed in that way. Right. Interesting. Which is and cool. it was such a shame because they like fully replicated the pages inside the book. It was so cool to have and leave through. Yeah. And then you get to a point where you're just like, I got this like smelling rotty thing on my shelf. Huh. <sighs> this movie has such a good poster, obviously. Everything about it. The hand just, grabbing yeah. her, but then the sort of secondary image that becomes the kind of iconic image of Ash with the chainsaw covered in blood. Oh, sure. Sort of lunging. Yeah. Uh, which is also good. Obviously, it has the Stephen King, the most ferociously original horror film of the year. The, the thing that makes him. It. Yeah. The thing about Evil Dead 2 is that poster is so good, mm -hmm. but it's kind of as well, I guess we'll talk about it later. But like, that's more one of those posters that's just like, what's a thing that would get people to rent it's this? It's such an arresting image. It's not in the movie. It's not representative of the movie. At right. All. right. Just this, but it looks like a heavy metal, you know, yes. band cover. You know, right. it's just cool. That was one of those things where, like, once I was getting into oh i need to see these evil dead movies the realization of like wait evil dead 2 is that poster right because i just remember the seeing already. that at video yeah. stores probably an age where i couldn't read and being like that's the scariest image i've ever seen that and dead alive were like those are the two skull boxes that make me upset to walk past a hundred percent uh anyway he burns the book they all decompose it's the coolest effect he, in the he movie. He thinks he's safe. They play like serene, sort of like Snow Whitey. Birds are twerping the sun, music. The sun rises. Right. Ash goes outside and there's one last the shot of we the camera. We forgot the fucking camera from the opening of the movie. It's like it's he's now. Gonna get right. you. It's also just perfectly bookended that way, you know? Yeah. Um, but right, it's that thing of this is going to chase him forever. I don't know if you felt this way watching the movie for the first time, but I was like, that's good. How the fuck does he become some guy saying groovy? I know, because I definitely knew, again, that sort of Empire Magazine thing. Right. Like, the whole legend around him with the chainsaw. The most badass movie here. Like, yeah, he's like Snake Plissken. Yeah. Like, what is this? And you're like, he's right. He definitely has little of that here. Not that he's not no. cute and charismatic. No. But, right, no catchphrase stuff. That he is so know. much more of, like, a final guy in this movie. And that, too, makes him this sort of, like... Avenging that, Angel. That thing of being a young movie fan in the 90s, the late 90s, 
where right you know the references yeah. before you see the movie yeah so you see the chainsaw and you're like oh okay right, right. i know he has a chainsaw Gun like or hand. whatever right yeah 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 right you're watching this like a checklist and much like watching terminator for the first time I'm like okay and now i get to watch the one that i know everything is from wait is he gonna say hasta la vista baby right What's but then you rewatch. On? these first movies and you're like oh they rule I just I told Emma Stefanski friend of the show I was like I'm watching Evil Dead and she's like I should watch that I feel that way like once a week you know she's like I always feel like I should be watching that you know why Emma Stefanski likes Evil Dead though why because it's about books it's about books it's Uh, got bugs in it too it's got it's got some bugs in it it's a very Emma movie (laughs) yes Yes. Uh, yeah um I throw it on again. Yeah, I truly. I, I mean, can't watch it with Forky around though. This is a series oh, where sure. it's like the Boss Baby can't even. This well, is. A, I don't know what the Boss Baby would think, no, but, but Forky I, would see, not tolerate say, it. If I had a child, Boss Baby age, almost, almost one. She's almost one. That's right. Days away from her birthday right now. Yep. Um, I, I this would be a movie where I'd be like. I don't know if I want this in the background while the kid's in the room. Like, most things you're like, they're a kid. They don't understand. I'm just like, the imagery in this is so bizarre. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I get it. And, and, and the noise. Yeah. The weird kind of cacophony of it all. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, Bad vibes. You talking about one and watch it again immediately. Yeah. I ended up focusing on just watching as many of the special features as I could this sure. morning instead. Right. But I had half a mind to, like, the Blu-ray is the classic, like, four by three. Mm-hmm. But then they also did a cropped release that was wider, and that's on the second disc. Sure. And I was like, do I rewatch this again in a different aspect ratio with the commentary on? Just because yeah. I want another bite at it, you know? You might just have... The... I might do it tonight. I might do it before Evil Dead 2. I'm just like, I'm in it. I'm in... I'm I'm enjoying this franchise again and and rediscovering how much I fucking love it. And just immediately upon starting this, I was like, oh, this movie's better than I remember being and I forget. forgot that I loved these. You have to finish China Girl. That thing's David, a fucking slog. David, I know. I know. We Look, we put a lot into this week and I also agreed to do two other podcasts this oh boy, week what's and the there's other a one? TV show. I don't want to say what it is. Okay. Spoilers, I'll tell you off mic. Yeah, I know. Uh, but yes, no, I'm, I'm getting, I'm, I'm one into China Girl. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bite them off. Can't you say Matt Puss? Look, I mean, we've yeah. already talked about it. Uh, Look, we've already uh, talked but, about uh, it. Jesus, what a yeah. guy! Have you met Puss? Yeah, he fucking sucks. <laughs> anyway, anyway, weird show. Um, yes, no, I appreciate that you're into the evil. Maybe I'll watch Ass versus Eve. I'm definitely like with you in terms of like, I do love the vibe. Like, yeah. I, I do, I do just kind of want to be in this vibe. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm that was so one of looking those... forward to seeing Evil Dead 2 again, which yes. is oh, I'm, I'm, obviously I'm, a, a so huge excited. favorite. Right. But no, I, I watched the first season and I didn't keep up with it largely because it was one of those things where it's like, it's only streamable on stars or whatever. You know, I feel like it took a while to be watchable anywhere else and I'm just so bad at keeping up with TV. But it was one of those things where when it premiered, I was like, this feels like one of those things we think we want until we watch it. Right. And then when I watched it, I was like, no, this is pretty good. And it's kind of a cool continuation of it. There's obviously just, I mean, we'll talk about this more in future episodes, but like post Army of Darkness, there was such a thing for so long of like, do they come back and do a fourth one? Does Ash get put into something else like Freddy versus Jason versus Ash? Or do they remake it? And uh, it was always this like ping pong going back and forth of like, Evil Dead can't stay dead forever, but what is it now? So I've never seen the remake. I have. Is it a remake or a sequel or like what's the vibe of it again? Weird. I mean, we're debating whether or not to do a bonus on it. Right. Is it one of those sort of like 
reboot slash continuation deals where it can kind of function as both like it's sort of i thought it was just totally disconnected i saw it too yeah i'd say it's sort of the latter it look it feels like it's very much its own thing yeah and then they put like an egregious bruce campbell and credits thing in there that feels like they do it just for the sake of saying this movie doesn't negate the other like groovy literally yeah he like picks up a book the camera tilts up he says groovy and it feels disconnected and their whole thing was like we don't want the existence of this movie to preclude the possibility of bringing Ash back. And maybe we're working towards like these forces terrorizing this new group of people are the same forces that Ash has been fighting. It's not just a remake and he could team up with Jane Levy at some point. Right. Um, Well, there's look, I remember liking that movie less than most people. I think everyone had their knives out being like, why the fuck would they remake this? And then when it came out, people were kind of pleasantly surprised. People liked how gross it was, right? right. It's got really insane uh It is, it is soaking wet. Right. With and blood. like like Fede Alvarez is pretty solid. Uh yeah. Jane Levy's good. Like, um there's a there's a good hook to it. Mm-hmm. there's like one really good plot hook to it where you're like, oh, that's enough of a reason to remake it. They're now doing another one, which is going to be on HBO Max this year. Yeah. They're doing Evil Dead Rise. Okay. That's like a high rise. It sounds sort of like they're doing The Raid, but with Evil Dead. So rather than it being a cabin in the woods, it now happens yeah. in a building. I don't know I don't how I feel about fucking, that. No. But it's, it's a weird, like, they do that. They thought they were building towards a sequel where they connect that movie to the universe of Ash. Then they do the Ash TV show. Sure. It has three seasons. Then some more years pass, and they're like, we're going to make another movie that's sort of more in the remake vein where it's new people without Ash. Right. It's a weird franchise. It is. The thing with a Bruce Campbell, and I love the man. Yeah. You know, this is going to sound mean. Just, he he will show up and say groovy for you if you want him to. Absolutely, the man is not an, a hard sell on that stuff. So like, there's not that sort of sanctity around this franchise. No, yeah, no, no. And I also think like the idea of looping Ash into a new generation thing is like I think what they liked about the remake is like we can go back to this just being nasty and visceral again. 100%. At this point, Bruce Campbell has to have his. He, it's going to be lighthearted if he's involved, right? Right. right. But what if there was like a movie where like he's kind of older, he's a little grizzled, and he's got kind of a distant look in his eye, but then people find him in the middle of the movie or maybe in the last act and they're like, were you, were you there in the okay, cabin? So the season... And they go back to the cabin or no, what? what the, does, no, the thing I like about the first season of Ash vs. Evil Dead is I remember it sort of parodying those tropes. That's good. In that a good way. funny. Yeah, okay. Right, yeah. I also just, I've never seen it, but I remember being told it's also super gory. Yeah. Like, you know, has a lot of fun with... Yeah, but but is more in line with this where it's like goofy gore. Yes, yeah. exactly. All right, do you want to play... I have a few box office games, because okay. this movie's got such a weird release. David, I trust your judgment. Well, let's do... You've first... never given me a bad box office game. You haven't given me <laughs> a bad no one yet. no such thing. Uh, <laughs> that is true. The first one is for its, I guess, the first time... I'm forgetting the premiere. That doesn't count. Sure. So it's like release in New York. So this okay. is like the 4th of February, 1983. Wow, almost exactly... 39 years ago? <laughs> yes, that's true. Um, we just passed it. Okay. So let's do this one. Obviously, Evil Dead is not on the... It's it's making like 100 grand, I think. Okay. You know, But uh, yep. number one is a comedy. It's my mother's birthday. Okay. 1982. Uh, that has been out... Wait, is it 82 for... or 83? 
Oh, sorry. The the this comedy came out December eighty two. Gotcha, gotcha. It's okay. an Oscar player. Uh huh. It's a huge hit. Uh huh. Tootsie? Huh? Tootsie? It sure is. It sure is. It's Tootsie. It's Tootsie. Huge. In its eighth week, it's huge made a hundred million dollars domestically in nineteen eighty two. It. It was, Number two, I think. I think it was at the time one of the ten highest grossing movies in history. Well, you, you always throw that at me, and I don't know. You I know. Box Office Mojo or... used to make this so fucking easy. Yeah, I know. To I know. I know. Anyway, Bane of my existence. Uh, but it was, I think, the number two movie of '82. I don't behind... know what. Uh, let's find out. Um, behind, no, of course. I oh, E.T. Oh, right. Of course. Yes. It right. was. Yes. It was. Second only to E.T. Right. Uh, yeah, Tootsie was But humongous. Tootsie, it's a huge movie. We've joked about its sort of strange premise. Uh, you know, I've seen it once. I, I, look, I, I've seen it a couple times. I feel like I rewatched it in the last couple of years because right, whenever I talked about it on the show, being like the premise is funny. I feel like I always heard people being like, no, Tootsie is one of the, the diamond jewel cuts. You can't cuts. come for Tootsie. It's the, right. the modern Lubitsch and whatever. And I watch it, and I'm like, I still think this is executed very well. I think it's a little overpraised. There are things that I think are phenomenal, namely uh, uh, Charles Drummond's performance is incredible. The whole supporting you, you cast is incredible. Yep. Uh, obviously, Terry Gar and Lang and all of that. And, and Hoffman's like crazy good in it. I mean, his performance is the thing that sort of uh, transforms it. Right. Um, there's some great scenes in it, uh, great use of Murray. Uh, but it's like not one of the greatest comedies of all time for me, which I think for some people is seen as a sacrilegious state. Um, agree with that. By and large. I prefer Ishtar to Tootsie. You prefer what? Ishtar to Tootsie. Sure. I know Tootsie's a better movie. Sure, Tootsie functions maybe more <laughs> regularly as but, a film but, or whatever. But, you know, at the end of the day, telling the truth can be dangerous business. Yeah, it's true. Honestly, uh, popular don't go hand in hand. Number two at the box office. Also, this week. Hoffman makes zero movies between Tootsie and Ishtar. Good for him. I know we said this in that episode, but it is wild to consider. He, the man just ate box offices for lunch until he didn't. Uh, I don't yep. know what I'm trying to say. The next movie is, it's a new movie. It is uh, new this week. It okay. is a, or maybe it's not new this mm-hmm. week, but it's re-entering the box office this okay. week. It's your classic supernatural horror film starring Barbara Hershey. Classic. And Ron Silver. Well, I feel like we just talked about this in our Portrait of a Lady episode, Hit maybe. Me. Now, I can't remember what this It's called The Entity. Okay. I don't think you were going to get that. Nope, I wasn't. Uh, about a woman who claims mm-hmm. she was assaulted mm-hmm. by an invisible entity. It's based on a true story. Okay. Uh, this woman, you know, claimed this sort of paranormal thing happened to her. Mm-hmm. I've never seen it. It's directed by Sidney J. Fury, who famously made The Ick Press File, which is a great movie. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, I do don't know, know much more about it. Number three at the box office, it's Cop Buddy Comedy. Cop Buddy Comedy, 1982. Yeah, yeah. It came out in 82, December. Yeah. Uh, Huge hit. It is 48 Hours? It sure is. Yeah. You seen 48 Hours? Hell yeah. Walter Hill. Uh, I'm sure you saw this, David. Uh, to your mark when we're recording this podcast, but the last couple of days, a bit circling around Twitter, the Dan Chamberlain prompt about like, what's your white whale of right, like the, the unreleased or unrealized right. project you wanted to I see? I think a happen. lot of people were turning it into unrealized. And what he was sort of prompting is like things that have been unreleased that were made and have never been. There's also that things that are in some vault somewhere. Yeah. Right. Such as that, that Star Wars show that Connor is so obsessed with, the parody show. I don't know what you're talking okay, about. Fine. Star Wars Detours. Yeah. I think it's been on shelf. Um, 
uh, Aaron uh, Sangurai, who's a friend of the podcast as well, tweeted that his pick, I did not know about this. Mm. Uh, another 48 hours was originally like two and a half hours long. Sure. And then Paramount was like, Walter Hill, fucking get over it. Cut it down to two. Uh, no, 95. The working cut. David. Okay. David. Be, it right. went from two and a half to two. Yeah, sure. And then the week before the movie came out, mm. some other thing was a big ass hit. And Paramount got really scared. Yeah. They cut 30 minutes right. the they week cut before it the down movie down to 95 then. Right. Yes. In a week. And apparently that's why the movie makes no sense. It's because of Total Recall? Yes, correct. Total Recall had like the biggest opening weekend of all time. And right. they were so stressed out by that that they were like, this thing we have to get in multiple showings a day. Right, just to make money. So yeah. there's 30 minutes cut wantonly in like what you have to imagine is 48 hours truly if there was time to get new prints made, right, it's not like right. they could just upload a new cat's cut. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the boys were back in town. You can't deny that. It's just what well, the supporting I cast know. of that movie is like. I have zero lines in the Apparently, film. Apparently, no third one lead. says 48 hours yes. in the final cut. They never of, established like, they cut that out. The <laughs> which was written into the movie. Like all these things. I'm uh, fascinated by that. But, that's but the original 48 hours fucks. It is. It's a it's a movie that you couldn't make now, no. like when you watch it. But it is so good. Uh, it's a I, classic Walter. But it makes Hill. me wonder: Did they make Gritty it a second time, and we've just never seen it? Possibly. Walter Hill's a good director. Walter he directed both. Director. Number four at the box office this week was the Best Picture winner of nineteen eighty two. BTT Gandhi. Gandhi. Um, crushing it. Yeah. Uh, and number five is a fucking phenomenal fucking movie that I love so much from one of your favorite directors. Mm. It's my favorite performance from this actor. Hmm. It's just the kind of movie I can eat all day. Uh, is it a Lumet? David's nodding solemnly. Sure is. Uh, it's not... Uh... It's a showcase for an actor. One of the greats. It's Jesus Christ. Why am I blanking on it? It's it's the Paul Newman movie. It is, and it is called the Verdict. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I kept on. My mind was going to accused. Yeah. Well, and the know. client. Yeah. Right. Yes. The Verdict is a lawyer great, movies is a fucking names. great movie. Incredible movie. Incredible performance. The Verdict. But let's move along. Okay. As well, just to this uh, to the other to the wider weekend. Mm-hmm. Just because this is a weird one. Sure. And because there are two, the, the, so this is the fifteenth uh, of April, nineteen eighty. I'm just the people are on the fucking blank check subreddit are going to be doing the Vince McMahon meme with no guest, two box, <laughs> two office, box games. office games. Well, one thing I want to note about this box office game: the Ben second. does bit pretending like thing from movie is actually happening during record. Sorry, go on. Um, is that Tootsie and Gandhi are still in the top five? Top five. <laughs> yeah. Now in their eighteenth and nineteenth yeah. weeks. So they're hanging around. Best Picture used to be a kingmaker. Absolutely. Um, If you were already a hit, you became a mega hit. If you weren't a hit, you you became a blockbuster. You get to play for six more months and people will get to you. Six more months, yes. But number one, it's a Western Mm. and it stars an action star, a junkie action star of the 80s. Hmm. I don't think you'll know this movie. Is it a Chuck Norris? It is. Okay. Is it called... Too hot to handle. It's called Lone Wolf McQuaid. I do know that title. I'm actually embarrassed I didn't get it. David Carradine. Yeah. I know. I mean, I know it as a reference. Right. Yeah. Uh, Same. Yeah. Uh, You've also got uh, Robert Beltran. Mm. You've got William Sanderson. I don't know. Kane Hodder apparently plays a goon in this movie. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Lone Wolf McQuaid, baby. Lone Wolf McQuaid, baby. J.J. McQuaid is a former Marine and Texan Ranger who prefers to work alone. 
and carries a 44 Magnum revolver. Wow. Okay. He lives in an old rundown house in the middle of nowhere with a pet wolf. Get the fuck out of here. This movie sounds stupid. I'm um, reading this cold. Well, no, I think that I agree. Yeah, a lot of good ideas here. There's Pretty some interesting good. stuff. There's some interesting elements of play. Yeah. Pet wolf. Yeah. It, no, it just I, feels like, like Norris is like, I should have a pet wolf in the next one. They're like, well, wolves aren't really. Okay. Yeah, you know what? Fine. We'll, we'll get a wolf. Yeah, sure. Well, I got a Chuck Norris fact for you. Uh-huh. Some people have dogs for pets. Chuck Norris has a wolf for pets. Exactly. Isn't now, that funny? Isn't that random? Number two at this wider release is, that random? is a surprise smash hit, I would say. Okay. Um, from, a, mm-hmm. from a director who I would argue for, but is kind of one of those directors with a mixed reputation. He's actually got a movie coming out this year. Really? He does. Um, is it an Adrian Lyon? It's an Adrian Lyon film. Is it Flashdance? It's Flashdance. Yeah, it had to be. Which I think is sort of the like when this you know like comes Junkie. out, critics are like, "This is trash." Right. Obviously, Jennifer Beals is not a star. Like, right. And it burns up. It's a it's a sensation. The yes. soundtrack sells a billion copies. Yes. Like everyone's got to see it. Right. Right. Yeah. I know. I think critics had to stand up. Like this is what people are paying to go see. Right. And was, then and then he weirdly kind of becomes a critic's favorite director i guess it takes a while um, but people were sort of like he's the best this sort of elevated junk uh absolutely um and then number five number uh, so five? tootsie gandhi number five of the box office teen drama teen drama is it talk to me no is what's the movie called listen to me no, that's like Roy Scheider and C. Thomas Howell and like five teen actors. I don't know. I was just trying to think no, of this serious is, movie starring teens. I think it's called Listen to Me. This is from one of the greatest directors in the history. Oh, of cinema. it's Outsiders. It's the Outsiders. Okay. Uh, Matt Dillon, Tom Cruise, Patrick Swayze, Rob Lowe, Diane Lane, Emilio Estevez, C. Thomas Howell. I'm a Rumblefish Ralph guy Macchio. myself. Oh, you're a Rumblefish. I mean, Ben, yes. I love Rumblefish. I loved all those books when I was a kid. I don't know about you. I read all those S.E. Hinton I books. Didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I just saw them. the movie. Yeah, they were great. I've yeah. read them as well, David. I uh, don't know why. I, they literally couldn't have been less about my experience as a teen kid. I was like, yeah. well, I'm not some youth with like a grease, you know, and like yeah. a comb in my pocket who's always getting in rumbles or whatever. But but isn't that the story? I mean, that was like the first of the movies that Coppola was like recutting, or I guess after American uh, Apocalypse Redux, right? Uh-huh. Right. But uh, that his granddaughter was in school and she was being assigned uh, outsiders. Right. Like decades right. later, it was still the perennial. And she was like, Grandpa, why aren't all these things from the book in the movie? I, like, all my friends are trying to watch the movie so they don't have to read the book and it's missing things. And right. so then he recut it and was like, I put everything back in. It's the whole novel. Stay cool, Soda Pop. Outsider's the complete novel. Um, Stay Golden Pony Boy. Stay Golden Pony Boy, all that. Yeah. So that's those are two top fives for you. Wow. That's, that's what the industry looks like back sure then. Sure is a time. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. That's... Uh, Wait a second. That's the news. What's up? I'm saying something weird in the blank check Reddit here. People are reacting to the announcement of our next miniseries, Late Rob Reiner. <laughs> Only the 2010s. <laughs> ben, is there any chance that tape you played didn't just announce a miniseries, it announced a cursed miniseries? Oh, shit. What have I unleashed upon us? You have to us? chop it up. Apparently, we've it. already released the episode on Story of Us. It's out there with guest Alex Jones? <laughs> oh, no. Oh. No, come on now. Delete, man. We have to delete this from the feed. All right. All right. 
I'm gonna chop up this tape machine. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Good job, guys. Great sound effects. Cool sound I just effect. felt like I had to bring it back. You know? No, it's very it's, good. It's kind of narrative closure. You, All right. Chekhov's gone. We're done. Take yeah. us out, Griffin. Uh, next week, crime wave. Next week, crime Next week, crime wave. <laughs> next week, crime wave. A movie I've never seen. Uh, me neither. No, yeah. never had excited, any reason to see excited it. Excited to watch. Look, here's the thing. It was a blessing in disguise that um, uh, Dr. Strange got pushed back. And that the campaign fever was high and it felt like a good time to flip that order. Because uh, I think people were worried about the sameness of like if we go from Carpenter to Raimi. But man, Raimi's career has a career. Raimi's career has some weird uh, zags to it. Uh, sure does. Uh, it's an interesting trajectory. And that's why I was kind of asking the Spider-Man guarantor question because it's sort of like... I feel like he's almost on a downswing when he gets Spider-Man and like, yeah, you know, I, I, anyway, we'll talk about yeah, it. Yeah, I agree. We'll, yeah, t- we'll, right. we'll But it's a, but he's also the guy who did the Evil Dead movies forever, which is why people are always going to roll the dice with him. It's yeah. an interesting situation and we'll get to it in this episode, but he has said he found out that he had been hired to direct Spider-Man by reading it in Variety and no one had called him to tell him and he was surprised. Okay. Well, that's interesting. That he felt like I'm the guy they're interviewing to make the nerds happy. Sure, and then, and then they will they'll... hire Rennie Harlan or whoever. Right, right. right and then he right, opened right. up one day, and he was like, "I am." Well, he was a good hire. He was great, even hire. though that movie is is what it is. But it's special and it's important. We're excited to talk about yep. them, and we're excited to swing into Ramy. Yeah, podcast me to hell, baby. Thank you all for listening. Yep. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you to Marie Barty for our social media and many other things, including. Recently, constructing our website, a thing that we should have had a long time ago, uh, but uh, Marie uh, uh, took on the lion's share of the work and brought that to the finish line. And at the time you're listening to this, March Madness is raging. So you can only go to that website for links to episodes. That's merch. true. Uh, spatula should hopefully be in stock by now. I'm sorry there's been a slight delay on them. But also every single day on blankcheckpod.com. That's www.blankcheckpod.com. Come, there's a new poll for March Madness because that shit ain't happening on Twitter anymore. Uh, thank you to JJ Birch and uh, Nick Loriano for our research and especially for abounding today's research in human flesh. Thank you to Lynn Montgomery and the Great American Novel for our theme song, which today was provided on a reel-to-reel recorder. Thank you to Joe Bowen and Pat Reynolds, who did our artwork, scribbled uh, on a pen ripping through paper while possessed. Um, I can't believe I came up with one that applied to all of them. Um, Oh, AJ McKeon and Alex Barron for our editing that was also done on a reel-to-reel recorder. I'm sorry. I had to reuse one. Um, Tune in next week for Crime Wave. Go to patreon.com slash blank check for blank check special features where we go through commentaries. And right now we're going back to the Matrix. Yes. The website was supposed to make this um, shorter. It did. I know you don't think it did, but it did. Okay. I really think it did. Good. And as always, I just want to stumble one last time for Pod Media Podcast. David's making a stinky poo-poo fit. <laughs> <laughs>